0: Hi, welcome Back to Excited, episode 151. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuliman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fuliman? None too shabby. Yourself? I'm I'm doing all right. It's been a busy couple of weeks for me uh, at, at work and stuff, but I'm excited to get back in the potting saddle. It's been a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is the quiet period for us, so we've tried to digest the free agency period, all the many personnel changes teams have made. So yeah, this is yes. our League Survey podcast, or part one of them, because experience has taught us we don't get anywhere close to the whole league in one episode.
0: Yeah, and this is going to be like a chonky episode <laughs> as well, most likely. It's it, I don't think we've ever done one of these with even half the leagues in less than 90 minutes. Yeah, so, so... strap in, get comfortable, get some snacks, and we're going to talk about uh, teams from Anaheim to Montreal, I believe. Yes, indeed all right so yeah i mean no point wasting any time let's get started with the anaheim ducks and um to be completely honest they have not done a whole lot Mm. uh notable transactions so you know here we actually this is one of the pods that requires the most research on our part because we have to you know make sure we know what every team has done for anaheim this was easy they signed uh, greg patterin uh who's for one year 750k they signed ryan getzloff for one year at 3 million they signed sam Steele. For one year, 874K. Um, they lost a few kind of lower end players like Danton Heine and Hayden Fleury. Andy Walensky, who was definitely a guy I was aware of for sure. <laughs> Did not learn of him recently. Uh, and yeah, that's the Ducks. So you may wonder who is on the Ducks roster right now. And that is a great question because I don't think many people do. Yeah. Um, they have essentially a full roster at this point. Um, or at least a four roster when, like, they promote you know some prospects or whatever, and they have fourteen million dollars in cap space. Mm-hmm. So th- th- there's just you know a lot of cap space, no one to spend it on. This seems like a team that is just very obviously tanking.
1: Yeah, and I think that's undeniable. You don't go into a season with a forward group that looks like this and seriously expect to win anything. And if they have any hope of doing so, it's going to be John Gibson goes on a heater, which again, a million teams can say that, you know, our goalie will get hot. Um, Maybe with John Gibson, it's a little more plausible that he would do so. But still, there is not enough scoring on this team. Um, They were quite bad last year with many of these same players. And despite the fact that they have several defensemen that I still sort of envy, uh, it's not enough. They weren't that great defensively either not much was going well in Anaheim and they made very few changes. And so the result is going to be that this team is probably pretty bad again.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this really seems like a year where the, what they care about is can Trevor egress and Jamie Drysdale show that they will be high end NHL contributors. Like that, has, that has to be the hope effectively. Um, and I'm sure they have some other prospects too. Uh, but like Drysdale and, and Zegras are, you know, the cream of the crop, and and they, they're they're the ones with some NHL experience. They're the ones who are going to be expected to take a big step, right? The, the same way we watched um, players like like Nenander take that step in 2016-17. They don't have that same level high end talent as like they don't have a prospect as good as Austin Matthews or Mitch Martin. I don't think.
1: Mm-hmm. I um, I mean, Zegras in the optimistic case maybe.
0: I, I think it's really optimistic. Okay, so we agree they really don't have a prospect in the of the caliber of Austin Matthews.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Right? So what we're really arguing is, is Trevor <laughs> Ziegler's as good a prospect as, as Mitch Marner was? I would say no, but I also, I'm, you know, as we said before, we're not geniuses about prospects, and Zegers is a very, very good prospect. It's just yeah. Marner was a very good prospect.
1: Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> we may have to keep reminding ourselves of his various fine qualities instead of just staring at his cat pit all the time, because I feel like mm-hmm. this summer has been a lot of that. yeah. And so the reality is you look at this forward group and you have the remains of Henrik Silverberg, Raquel, and of course, old man, Ryan Getzlaff. And, and then it is kind of interesting
0: yeah. that they haven't, they didn't fully sell off in the sense that, you know, a Sabre style tank. Well, I okay, can we need to specify which Sabre style tank. There's been too many of them, <laughs> but like the original, you know, Sabre style tank for Mick Eichel, mm-hmm. um, you know, they would have traded Henrik, Silverberg, Raquel, and they wouldn't have resigned Getzlaff, I don't think.
1: Well, yes and no. Because Getzlaff, I keep wondering, this feels like a setup to go somewhere at the deadline to me. I think the possibility is there. He has a no move, so That's he true. has veto power over it, but
0: maybe. Yes. And then,
1: I, how tradable are Henrik and Silverberg at this point in time?
0: Yeah, not inc- incredibly. I mean, uh, Henrik, he was acquired for, for Vatanen, wasn't he? And uh, i guess neither of those deals look amazing now
1: no i mean henrik had a i think a better showing for a little bit but yeah you know he's in decline he's 31 he has three years left at
0: 5.825 and he's still he's still a decent player it's just probably not worth 5.85 or whatever he's getting paid right 5.825 sorry
1: and the trend line is not great like next no. year, he's going to be worse than this year, probably, and so
0: on. Most likely, yeah. Soferberg's a guy I coveted for a while as well. He, you know, he's a he, he's a guy who can play left wing, and which you know that was obviously a, a place of a dearth of talent for the Leafs specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he'd be interesting, but yeah, they signed him to a like I, again. I think that's like a reasonably fair deal. Yeah, uh, he's he's uh, as you would expect, declined a bit. Um, over you know, the past few years but he he's still quite good he has you know quite good defensive impacts in particular so i think I think you could trade them um but I mean it's not like they're they're wanting for cap room so what's the point? I, it, maybe yeah. it's a good idea to, to keep them and just make sure that you can actually put someone like zere in a situation where he has good players to bounce off of or at least competent players to bounce off of yeah you know you don't you don't want to have him have to do everything for you
1: that's actually something that stands out, you know, you mentioned they're not wanting for cap space, obviously. They don't have a forward with a cap hit of $6 million. Like, mm-hmm. this is, they are spending not very much on their forwards, and they are getting not very much out of that. And the fact that they've done nothing to address that, other than bring back get's laugh, which is, you know, fine for a franchise legend, but doesn't achieve much except give you something to sell at the deadline. You know, I think they're content to tank again they've decided that this is what they're going to do. They're going to save a lot of money this year and they'll see who they can pick. It's, it's going to mean that they have an utterly forgettable season, except for anyone who cares about Zagres or Drysdale. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, at least it's coherent. It's not much mystery what they're doing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So one interesting point of comparison to a team that we're going to talk about quite shortly is Arizona Um, because Arizona has weaponized their cap space to take, to get future assets Anaheim has not done that, you know, nearly to the same degree. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's a missed opportunity. I wonder if maybe their ownership just, you know, it's like, "Eh, you know, it's a pandemic. We maybe don't want to pay that much. You know, maybe we're not too upset about having a payroll. That's 67 million or whatever.
1: Yeah, I think that that's probably a factor, to be honest. You know, Anaheim's ownership has never been famously rich. They've spent when the opportunity came around. But in a year like this where you're punting anyway, there's an argument to say maybe we'll just wait, you know, save up some actual cash in a difficult time. And so I also think that there may have been a case that last year was a great time to tank. And we talked about this during that uh, Around the League podcast saying, you know, if you're not going to have fans in the arenas anyway, maybe that's a good time to be bad because you don't have to worry about selling tickets because you can't. Um, It'll sting a bit more this season as they miss it on revenue, but they're kind of committed now. Like, I don't think that they had realistic moves that were going to make them good. So, apart from, you know, maybe we're assuming a Jack Eichel trade, which I I don't think that they have much interest in doing, this makes a lot of sense to me, what Anaheim is doing, even though they haven't
0: uh, made the best use of their cap space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think that's probably enough on Anaheim yeah. the Anaheim' is probably the least eventful team and like the most boring team to talk about this year because they they've done very little and they don't have anyone that interesting on their roster, uh, at least from a current n h l perspective yeah but beyond that, they're great um <laughs> yes, so now we move to the Arizona coyotes, and this is a team that knows how to tank and knows how to knows how to like weaponize our cafe so they they were busy um we have a lot of transactions to go through. I think we should probably just give quick thoughts on each transaction mm. as. I mentioned them, and then we'll give our overall mm-hmm. thoughts. So um, f- first, they traded for Shane Goss to spare, two years, $4.5 remaining, um, along with a 2022 second-round pick. So Arizona receives the 2022 second-round pick and a 2022 seventh-round pick. The second-round pick is from Philly. The seventh-round pick is from originally belonged to St. Louis. Um, the St. Louis pick was then rerouted to Montreal in a 2021 draft-day trade. I think they just traded 2022 seventh for a 2021 seventh. So that's not too mm-hmm. important. They traded Darcy Kemper, uh, two years, 4.5 million, but they retained a million, for the rights to Connor Timmons, Colorado's 2022 first-rounder, and 2024, uh, 2024 conditional third-rounder. I realized we actually didn't talk about the Goss Fair thing. I just plowed ahead, so <laughs> let me stop here. What did you think of the Goss fair Yeah, thing?
1: they just said, we will take this guy for a fee, and that's an entirely reasonable thing for them to do, because they're going to be garbage. They should take all sorts of people for all sorts of fees, probably for the next few years.
0: Yes, this is yeah. a theme, by the way, um, <laughs> as, as to what the, the Coyotes have, have, have done. Gosh, maybe he has some upside. Mm-hmm. He, he hasn't been that great in a little bit, I don't no, know.
1: No, he broke into the league like gangbusters as like a big goal-scoring defenseman, having just this magical rookie season. And ever since then, every coach he's had has seemed to get mad at him for being kind of skewing offensive and not offering as much defensively. And so he clearly mm. waivers last season, which suggests that his value was below zero at that point, point. and then this trade implies as much, where Arizona
0: collected two picks just to take him. Um, yeah, but at the same time, like this isn't, this isn't a huge albatross contract. Like, it's two years, four and a half remaining. It's a, I think, I think, I think, is probably a around a league average defenseman. He he's bad at some things, but he does genuinely have some shooting talent and some power mm-hmm. playability. Right so that that can be useful. I don't think the contract is just completely horrific and it's it's not long enough and you know for Arizona they need someone to soak up minutes this year so Bear can do that just fine. Yeah hard.
1: and I think that that'll be part of his purpose. And if he has a resurgence because you force fed him power play time uh to some extent or however else uh then maybe he becomes flippable this deadline or the one yeah. after that. So you know even more assets down the road.
0: As as we've seen and again, this will be another theme that comes up. Like defensemen, this off season it was just a very bizarre and super expensive market. So, if someone, if a team becomes convinced, hey, Gosh Spear can actually be a second pairing guy for four and a half million, then in the context of what's happened this off season, that doesn't look very bad at all. Yeah. Definitely. So, the, the value can be rehabilitated there. Um, okay, so the next trade that I that I, sorry, plowed ahead with too early was, uh, Arizona trading Darcy Kemper. Retaining uh, a million, so Colorado will have him at two years, 3.5. And Arizona receives the rights to Connor Timmons. Colorado's 2022 first-rounder, a conditional 2024 third-rounder from Colorado, which the conditions are, I believe, for Colorado to like win the Cup and Kemper to play X amount of games mm-hmm. or something. Um, so this is, again, a pretty high price that, uh, that Arizona's extracted I mean, it, it's Colorado's 2022 first-rounder is going to be like 28 at best, most likely. But that's a first-rounder, and Connor Timmins, who is a, an NHL-level prospect.
1: Yeah, and I think that this is a good reflection of one of the nice consolations about being in a deep rebuild, which is what Arizona is doing now, is that you can afford to be patient or to take advantage of other parties, whereas when you're a team in Colorado's position, you're trying to contend right now, and you've been left without a goalie because Philip Grubauer is gone. You can get quite desperate. And so this just seems like a situation where Arizona could sort of afford to take or leave this deal or to wait around for something better. Colorado needed to jump on something because they figured that the round of goalie musical chairs, the music was going to stop soon. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is the sort of move that you really want to see a team make in Arizona's position, if you're an Arizona fan. Um, it also means that the team is in the process of second for the next, like, two or three years. <laughs> you know, they're not going to be good. Yes.
0: So, I I mean, it's quite, it, it's bittersweet, in a sense, for, for Arizona mm-hmm. fans. Um, because, you know, it's not as if Arizona's had a bunch of good times. That it's like, okay, well, the bill's coming due. Right? It, it, it isn't, it you know, the Sharks. where mm-hmm. you can at least, you know, go onto YouTube and watch videos of you know your playoff series wins <laughs> um
1: there were a few in there <laughs>
0: yeah. the, no i mean yeah. the, i i say this like i, I meant uh, without sounding snarky about the sharks The sharks have been an incredibly successful team over the past decade and a half they they really really have they've done basically as much as well as you can possibly do without winning a cup and unfortunately <laughs> uh, you know that's that's damning with faint yeah. praise because the point is to win a cup but like i don't think there's any shame in what the sharks have done over the past decade yeah
1: Whereas Arizona, it's been pretty bad for a pretty long time.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, this is going to continue that, but, um, you know, there seems to be at least a coherent plan in place here. Uh, now, that said, this is the easy hmm. part, right? Like, it's it's not that hard to say, to tell every team, hey, if you have a contract you want to dump... We're interested and then try and negotiate for, you know, more, right? Like that's, it's not, you don't have to be good at evaluating hockey players to do that. Effectively. Yeah.
1: And it's worth noting that, you know, we've talked about Lou Lamorello a lot on this podcast. That's one thing that he did quite well with the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, he unloaded a lot of ballast and collected picks from everybody. Um, that doesn't guarantee you too much of the next stage of proceedings, but still, you know, speaking of Lou Amarillo, actually, there's Andrew Ladd coming up next.
0: <laughs> yep. So Arizona traded for Andrew Ladd, two years, five and a half uh, remaining per year, uh receiving a twenty twenty-one second round pick, which is Colorado which was Colorado's sixtieth overall. A twenty twenty-two conditional second round pick, which is going to be the better of the Islanders and Colorado's twenty twenty-two picks, and a twenty twenty-three conditional third round pick. Um So the third round pick conveys only if Ladd never plays again, uh, which is kind of an interesting condition.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one, what are the incentives that are set up by that? But two, he probably won't.
0: Yeah. This this seems like essentially a a contract destined to, you know, never really see the light of day. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing I want us to note, and this is actually true of a lot of the players that Arizona has acquired, uh, even as they absorb, you know, kind of salary ballast that is cheaper in real cash than is cap Net. hit so Arizona has uh, you know a cap hit of like 73 million right now according to Cap Friendly but their cash outlay is almost certainly going to be uh, lower than that because a lot of the, the bigger name players on that uh, who, who they've acquired through through these trades are um, players who had front loaded deals and now are on the back end right. of that and it's not too bad and yeah the, the cash outlay isn't that significant um, okay, so some more trades. They traded Aiden Hill, who is a goalie, uh, two years, $2.175 million, and a 2022 seventh rounder to San Jose for Yosef Koronar, who I think is unimportant for this for, in, in most yeah. senses, and a 2022 second rounder. So basically, Hill and a second rounder, or seventh rounder for a second yeah. rounder. Um, and again, pretty standard trade. You're, you're selling off. We're shopping Aiden Hill. What are your best offers, essentially? Pick the best one. Um, and then we have the big trade. So this is going to take a while. <laughs> um, they, so Arizona acquired Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson. All of them have one year remaining. Roussel and Beagle are at $3 million. Erickson is at $6 million. Uh They also acquired the 2021 ninth overall pick, which they used to take Dylan Gunther, a 2022 second rounder, And in 2023, seventh rounder. And they do this in exchange for Oliver Ekman Larson, who has six years, 8.25 million uh, remaining. 12% of that was retained by Arizona. And the rights to Connor Garland, who then signed a five-year by essentially 5 million in Vancouver.
1: Yeah, that was a big transaction.
0: Yes, this is a big transaction, and it's complicated to evaluate because there's like good and bad assets on Mm. both sides.
1: The problem with Oliver Ekman Larson is that He's still perceived, apparently, as this kind of number one stud, soak up all the minutes, defenseman, and he has at times been used in that way. This last year, he was actually maybe not quite used to that intensity, but either way, he's been struggling results-wise for a while now.
0: He had a season that, like, he should have been like a Norris finalist, or possibly even won the Norris. I think it was it's like twenty sixteen. I want to say. Um and since then it's just it's just been downhill, and yeah, he's I think the big thing worth noting when it comes to to equinarxon is exactly what you said. People will often defend you know these types of players who uh are on bad teams and play you know ostensibly big roles on those bad teams uh and and they'll say, you know analytics don't like this guy because he has no help and he plays big minutes and all that stuff well. Ekman Larson, you know, he does have no help. He did play relatively big minutes, but he wasn't, like, the most used uh, defender in Arizona.
1: Which is insane, because every part of this deal seems premised on he is the guy. Um, the big all-minutes defenseman. And Vancouver is acquiring him on that basis. Even with 12% retained, this is a lot of money for a guy who has not been succeeding for a few years.
0: Yeah, it's, like, it's about $7.2 I think, for Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, and just to be more specific, Ekman Narsen was the, essentially the third most played Arizona defender for most of the year behind Jakub Cikrin and Alex Goligoski. Yeah,
1: and like Alex Goligoski is kind of washed, like at this point in time. He's like 35 and has not been doing that well, that I recall. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of a concerning situation if you're Vancouver and you're taking this on because there are a lot of contracts that were certainly painful in the short term. Yes, who signed them by the way uh but that you were about to get out of and now you've you've tied yourself to oel for um the next six years and, and so even if you anticipate maybe at the end you find your way out of that through ltir or something you're probably playing him big minutes
0: for several seasons right and i mean if you're paying a defenseman seven million dollars you probably want to use them in the in a way where they're providing the most value to your team, and typically that's playing top pair of minutes with your best players, and also by necessity against the opponent's best players. Right? Someone has to take those minutes, and if it's not the guy you're spending seven million on, well, why are you spending seven million on? Yeah, him? and right? because you can find players who can succeed in you know average competition for much cheaper than than that
1: yeah uh, you, you know we already have these worrying circumstances of jim benning brutally misevaluating free agents you know it's not like their pro scouting has done enough that you're going to have great faith in them look at the tyler myers contract for example i think that well we've already started verging onto vancouver's end of the deal which we should probably save <laughs> for that yeah. But yeah, I I think Arizona is going to be glad to have gotten out of this deal, even though the 12% retention for term, that stings a little bit. It
0: but, does. Because it's about a million dollars.
1: Yeah, like that's enough that you'll feel a little bit of a squeeze. Now, God knows when or if Arizona will ever be a cap team in its existence. So it depends on how that impacts the budget and the willingness to spend. But yeah... I think that this is a good deal for Arizona. It's not painless. And as you've written here, the fact that it came to this
0: is not a great sign. And it doesn't mean that... Right, because the one guy we haven't yeah. mentioned here so far is Connor Garland. And Connor Garland is very good. Mm. And he's not old either. I think he's 25. Let me double check that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like it, Garland is a 25-year-old who I think is... Incredibly a lower-end top-line player. Mm -hmm.
1: And the fact that Vancouver got him means that I expect Vancouver to look better up front this year as a result of this. This is a good
0: acquisition for them. They should be happy. And it's a a fair contract, too. Like, that that contract, there's no problem. There's no problem there. Yeah, so Um,
1: this is certainly, you know, it's a price that Arizona paid. Arizona got worse in this transaction. They did. I mean... Unless you really believe that OEL can basically be just removed and replaced easily, like he's not replacement level.
0: Well, even if, he, even if he's exactly replacement level, they acquired three guys who are, you know, not much better, if at all, and gave up their best play. Yeah, so... Right, so no, Arizona's inarguably worse here. The, mm-hmm. the, the carrot for them is Dylan Gunther, the 2022 second rounder, and I guess the seventh Yeah, rounder.
1: and the eventual savings that you get from being mm-hmm. done with OEL. But
0: yeah, the cap relief yeah, as well. But like you know, oh.
1: this is a we are going to suck this year deal, and, and so, so it was the next one actually for, for Strollman.
0: Yeah, but it, again, it, it's it's mm. worth mentioning. It, it it feels like it didn't have to get this way with Garland, and I don't I don't I'm not completely up to date on what went on there. Um, there were I remember Garland said like or through his agent that like you know basically the Arizona hasn't given him a competitive offer or a remotely competitive offer.
1: Yeah, and. In the course of this season where Arizona is doing a lot of things that make sense, it's probably worth emphasizing, Arizona still seems to screw up basics of being an organization. You know, Uh that very damning article that came out in The Athletic that basically said, you know, they nickel and dime everyone, you know, they'll screw everyone for fees, they're late in payments, they, you know, run like little corporate tyrants and that sort of thing. It was a damning assessment of the organization and things like this, where you don't even contact Garland. Even if you've decided to trade him, it's just a bunch of little things that make everything worse. I'm not saying it's going to make it impossible for Arizona to ever assign anybody, but all of these little things accumulate. And when you're a team like Arizona, that's been so badly run for so long and is so non-competitive I figured you would not want to screw up the easy stuff like this.
0: Like, just talk to him for a few minutes. And... Right. So, this is an interesting thing. I don't know if this occurs as much in the NHL because player empowerment isn't a thing to the same degree as it is in the NBA. And, I mean, the NHL is just a smaller business, so I I don't think there's as much kind of agency wars when it comes to this Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. But in the NBA, it's very much a thing where... The conflict of interest that arises with having, um, maybe a star player with a one agent and then, you know, other mid-tier players with the same agent means that when you deal with those mid-tier players who are not the stars, who are, you know, maybe good but not super crucial to winning a championship, Mm. there's a huge incentive to still deal with them in a way where they're happy with you because you don't want to piss off the agent who also represents the star Mm. guys. Right now, to this extent, I don't know if this is the case with, with Garland specifically, but just as a general point, um... You don't want to really piss off agents or make it be like, make them not want to deal with you. Because they represent handfuls of guys around the league, right? It's not that, con- you're not just pissing off Connor Garner necessarily. Yeah,
1: basically, agents have an influence on the process. Pissing them off means that that influence has the potential to be adverse to your interests. Don't piss off people who you're going to have to deal with in the future. And again, like one little thing like this is not the hugest thing in the world. But it's a trend with Arizona. And so even as they're right. in the, the early stages, as painful as that is to acknowledge, of a, of a teardown, and they're doing it well, it's still like, when you come out of this, you want to be an organization that is not doing little things to embarrass itself anymore.
0: Right. And this is why we emphasize that, you know, there's been a lot of praise for Arizona's strategy this off season. I think rightly mm-hmm. so. It, it, it makes sense for them as a team. But again, this is the easy yeah. part. Right, it's it's so much easier to do this than to actually build up. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of doubts about their ability to to do that. And you know, I think Connor Garden could have been an, a good part of the next good Coyotes team. Saying that, this trade is, I think, pretty clearly very good for Arizona. Yes. Even despite losing Garden, it could have been even better, right? If if they could have re- signed Garden to a reasonable deal, still been really bad and tanked, um, but also still had Connor Garden through his late prime, and then got, gotten off. Uh, OEL in probably the same way.
1: Yeah, and so I think it's coherent. It's just a matter of it's come to this, you know, where you're giving up on good 25-year-old players. That's not a position that most teams want to be in.
0: And Yes, yeah. and again, I am going to mention, all players the Coyotes acquired are cheaper in cash than their cap hit.
1: They are consistent. Yeah, and there are a couple other things left.
0: Yes, um, they acquired Anton Strauman, who has a year left at $5.4 million for Vladislav Kolyachonok, and a 2024 second rounder from Florida. Um, again, pretty standard trade. <laughs> take take on bad mm-hmm. money, and get a you know prospect and pick out of it. I don't know anything about the prospect.
1: Yeah, he didn't look like much to me, but he's not old, so who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, they they got a,
0: a fourth for signing rights to someone I've never heard of, <laughs> Lean Pedersen. Um, this is me. This is how we gatekeep NHL fans. If you don't know Dean (laughs) Pedersen, you're not a real NHL fan.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, Um, I mean, yeah, they signed Carter Hutton in net. By the way, you want a clear sign that they're tanking? Look at their goalies. Like, that's just, we don't care. You know? Right now, they're showing Carter Hutton and Yosef Koronar.
0: Hey, he was a key part of an Aiden Hill (laughs) transaction, right?
1: Yeah, and like they unloaded Kemper and Hill, who would have been one, too if they were trying to do anything this year, which they distinctly are not. And so, yeah, I mean, I think people respect the, um, the honesty of this kind of decision-making, the coherence of their strategy. Um, Yeah. yeah, And they have also lost Andy Ranta, who was another goalie.
0: Mm. Yeah. Sorry. Um, So yeah. And and, I mean, a couple other small signings, Ryan Zingle, one year, 1.1 million, Dimitri Yaskin, one year, 3.2 million. These are guys to make up the roster, mm. more or less, right? So don't need to talk about them too much. Uh, notable departures that we haven't already mentioned. A couple uh, that will be familiar to you as a Leafs fan. Uh, Michael Bunting, who signed here, obviously. Antti Ranta, who went to Carolina. Alex Goligoski, Nick Homer, Nick Jomerson, sorry, who retired. And John Hayden, who went to Buffalo. Um, so yeah, we probably don't need to spend too much time on this. But yeah, a ton of draft assets for this team going forward. Their roster is awful. Pretty much their entire team are UFAs after this year, so they have a ton of cap space next offseason, which actually, you know, if this was a non-Arizona team, I'd I'd kind of be a bit more interested into the way they could pivot there, the way kind of New York did, the New York Mm -hmm. Rangers, where the Rangers were like, okay, we're going to commit to a rebuild, and then a year, they're like, ah, we're bored. (laughs) We've had enough, which, by the
1: way, I think that boredom has filtered through into their decision-making subsequently, where they've made some... Very curious decisions to me, but...
0: Well, when we when we yeah. get to them next week, it's going to be interesting because, you know, we've said before how much we hate Tom Wilson and the phrase rent-free, um, but Tom Wilson lives in this team's head. Oh, rent-free. yeah,
1: unequivocally. And that's not a good sign for your team building. But, no. Well, yeah, we'll cross no. that bridge later. Um, yes, Yeah, Arizona stinks. It's on purpose now. It's bad that it's come to this. It will be bad for a while. Like, they, as you mentioned... Their good players are Chikran and maybe Clayton Keller. And that's fine. That's not anywhere near enough to build on. Yeah.
0: I mean, Keller is a good player. It's just a question of, is he a good player at 7 million? Yeah. Right.
1: And again, if you're now best forward, we're talking about is, are you a good player at 7 million? It's not a good sign. So.
0: No. Team bad. As a a quick aside, one of the things I like about this exercise um, is that... As Leafs fans, we are inward looking most of the time. And this exercise really makes it clear that, wow, the Leafs are actually in a pretty good situation league-wide. Like and and I mean don't get me wrong, we've been pessimistic about the Leafs, there are very real problems with the Leafs, but it's like going through these teams, there are not that many teams I would willingly trade spots.
1: Yeah. There are some bad situations here. And certainly I would not want to be either Anaheim or Arizona.
0: Yeah. So one that's maybe a bit more arguable, and actually not a bit more like more yeah. arguable is the Boston Bruins, um, who essentially are, you know, a very good team that is just in an awkward contending spot because David Krejci retired and they have this weird limbo with Tuca Rask. So let's talk about Rask first. Um, he had surgery this offseason to replace a torn labrum in his hip. Uh, from what he has said and what the team has said, he'll be ready in January. Uh, who knows if he'll be good anymore? He's, you know, quite old by NHL standards, so a drop-off could have been expected regardless, and he's Hasn't been amazing recently. He's been, you know, average-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the betting on... You know, hips seem quite important for Gouldies, just so. generally speaking. So, it, that's that's a little bit scary. Um, there's no risk of him signing with a non-Bruins team. He's basically said mm-hmm. as much. Um, so, really, the risk is that they re-sign him and he's just cooked. Yeah,
1: and they've tried to insulate themselves by buying in that anyway. Um, yes. With all marked. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit cloudy um their biggest transactions were extensions, I think it's fair to say.
0: Exactly. So they signed Brandon Carlo, 6 years, 4.1 million. Uh I mean I don't think Carlo's that good, but 4.1 million for a guy who like plays the minutes he does and it does fine in them, that's
1: fine. Yeah. And he's enormous. So who knows, maybe
0: it's good on that <laughs> basis. Uh, yeah, like I, I I think Carlo's like essentially it's a, a low average uh uh defenseman like he i think he's kind of a four, yeah. effectively so at 4.1 right? you probably um, take it yeah it, it's it's not a i don't love the contract i don't think it's yeah. good but it, it's it's not awful and then again this is one of the we went to the kind of awkward contending spot that this team is in um you you see teams that are in this spot essentially retain their players at a bit over the odds As much as possible, because they don't want to deal with the uncertainty of betting a new guy Mm -hmm. in. And they have to take advantage of, you know, Patrice Bergeron's last 13 years of being a good player. (laughs)
1: Because he's immortal. Um. Yeah.
0: Um, But, I mean, their their point is Bergeron and Marchand are, you know, they've defied aging curve so far, but they're probably getting Mm -hmm. worse. They're still very, very good. You can still win with them. Their contracts are still ridiculous. So, you know, one of the benefits of that is, yeah, you can... Go a little over the odds on someone like Carlo. Retain your team, which is very good, and then and still be fine. Um, so yeah, not my favorite deal, but not awful either. Uh, the next one is Taylor Hall, who who signed for uh, what did he sign for? Four years, six million. This is just an unequivocally good deal. Yeah, I think this is just one of those annoying deals where it's like, okay, well you you're not as good as Passionat, Marchand or Bergeron, so you have to take less than them. And he's just like, okay, cool.
1: At this point, and... like, he was just desperate to play somewhere that didn't suck. And so, yeah, yeah. now he's on a good team. Uh, you know, I think there is downside risk with Hall, for sure, with his injuries, with his lumps, all this sort of yes. stuff. But at four years at 29, like, I would have taken this deal. I think a lot of teams would have taken this deal. It's fine. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it pisses me off. Now, he has to, um, to probably drive a line from the wing. You're talking about the retirement of Krejci. Um, that leaves a hole at second-line center that Charlie Coyle, by virtue of his cap hit, is expected to fill. Yeah. That could be a bit dicey. Mm. But, uh, yeah, still, Taylor Hall is a great winger. Certainly at 6000000 million, you're happy with it. Even if he declines, it's not like it stretches that far into his 30s. So
0: Pretty much. And then um, they signed a bunch of other... Guys, I guess, and this is essentially the um they they can spend they can get like the upmarket versions of the guys the Leafs have, and it remains to be seen whether these upmarket versions are actually much better because you know they signed Mike Riley to a three by three, they signed Derek Forbort to a three by three. Um, I don't think uh, Derek Forbort, especially uh, Riley, is pretty decent. Derek Forbort, I think, is kind of ass. So I, I don't really get that one. Um. So you know that's that's another set of things they did they signed Eric Halla 2 years 2.375 they signed Thomas Noshek 2 years 1.75 uh they signed Nick Foligno, 2 years 3.8 million and the, the general theme is they just get a bunch of kind of defensively oriented guys through the middle and bottom of their roster on not great contracts not awful contracts either but their top end contracts are so good that their cap efficiency on a uh, on the whole is still very yeah. strong
1: and so we've faced Boston enough times now that we've scouted them to death and their basic strategy is still what it seems to have been up to now, which is their high-end forwards are meant to control play, put the goals in and kind of put up margins and win the game because they're insane. And most of the rest of the team is meant to be low event, to be quiet, to piss people off and slow them down. Um, We talked enough about Nick Foligno when we got him that you can say, he used to be good at that, at least. And even if he's declining, he probably still has a bit of it left. I wouldn't love paying $3.8 million for him.
0: Especially for the term, given... I mean, maybe we're just biased by how much he struggled with injuries during his time in Toronto, but you, you, I can see that aging poorly. Yeah.
1: I will say, when the end comes for Boston, it could sting a bit. They're still going to have Pasternak and McAvoy with plenty of years to go, but... I think that having Bergeron, Marchand and Pasternak all on these ridiculous deals, all who play perfectly together, that enables you to disguise a lot of other issues. And we look at these deals and I'm thinking, if there's less in front of them, they become a lot less enviable.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yes. No, everything is structured by the fact that, you know, their, their top players are so good. And so absurdly underpaid, and we—I need to actually add, Charlie McAvoy, yeah. into that as well, because mm-hmm. Charlie McAvoy is, is phenomenal. Yeah,
1: although they need a new contract for him after this season, so we won't be making yeah. four point nine again. But, yeah, it...
0: oh no, he'll he he'll, he'll you know rinse them and get five point three, <laughs> on a thirty-five year contract. Yeah.
1: I think your point about how they kind of got the upmarket things, the upmarket players. Um, compared to what Toronto did, but trying to do the same thing, to fill out around a, a core. It's really illuminated by the fact that a couple of their forwards came to us.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasha. Yeah.
1: And Kasha played very little for them, but yeah.
0: Yes, that, that was a deal. We were, we were like terrified when they made mm-hmm. that acquisition because Kasha was and is very good when he's healthy and he was just never healthy in Boston. Exactly. Um, the one signing that we want to mention that Uh, you alluded to earlier with insulating, trying to insulate themselves against go-tending they signed Linus Olmark to uh, a four-year deal worth $5 million annually. So this is essentially their Rask insurance. Mm -hmm.
1: And so I'm assuming when Rask comes back, assuming it's unrestricted and he's, uh, you know, coming off surgery or anything like that, I can't imagine he'll be expensive.
0: No, I mean, I think he will probably just take whatever cap space Boston has left. Yeah,
1: which at this point is not much. So...
0: And well, and the other thing is, if they sign him in January, or whatever, like um, that, they don't. That gets prorated, yeah. right?
1: So. Yeah, it could be pretty cheap. So, yeah, uh, they've lost some of their lower end players. Um, obviously, besides Krejci, I don't think that there's a huge loss in here. Yarrow Halak is the big one. Um, yes, who gave them great one B goaltending for a long time, but he's gone to Vancouver. And you have Jeremy Lausanne, um I don't really care about him. Uh, Sean Corrali, who got quite a deal from Columbus. We'll get to that. Uh, he was a good defensive depth forward at one point. But I certainly would not want the contract that he eventually signed, which is $2.5 million for four years. Um, the Bruins are still good. They're still intimidating. We say every year, as soon as Bergeron and Marchand get old, that'll start to tell on them pretty fast. They keep not doing it. And so I'm not willing to predict that it will happen this year. I'm just saying at some point it will happen. And this team will not, you know, they're not going to contend once that does happen. Obviously you don't have replacements for Patrice Bergeron waiting around, but they don't. So
0: I I think the scariest thing about this team is how much better they could have been if they, were better at identifying secondary players, and they've done a good job with some of them, mm-hmm. right? They have um, Craig Smith yeah. and Mike Riley, who are like I, I think those are, those the Craig Smith deal already looks good. Mike Riley one I think will be good, um, but they could have done so much more with you know the absurd savings that they have. To say nothing of what would have happened if they picked you know Barzal or Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I just want to mention. You know, in the spirit of kind of comparing things to the Leafs again and team situations to the Leafs, just like the Bruins kind of signed the upmarket version of the guys fitting around the stars that the Leafs can't afford, they've they're also facing kind of the upmarket playoffs dilemma that the Leafs have, whereas, you know, the Leafs it's like, Oh god, can we please win around? With the Bruins, it's like we are we have wasted Marchand and Bergeron's late prime because we haven't won a cup. And actually in the past two years they haven't gone that close to a cup actually well 2019 they they got to the finals right against st louis uh I, the last couple years specifically have been disappointing in the sense that i think they haven't gotten out of the second round
1: the exp- yeah the expectation and... every year in boston is genuine top tier contention yes like, there's no there are no moral victories and toronto i think is approaching that point despite having achieved a lot less than boston has but boston lives there and so there is a pressure, mm-hmm. um that they're not necessarily meeting As much as they've embarrassed us in a couple of playoff series.
0: Yes. So, Boston, they're just like us. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, we move from a team that is still in the contending tier to a team that has never been in the (laughs) contending tier. (laughs) But, you know what? Actually, I think Buffalo has some things to feel good about. So. They do? Well, relatively speaking. By comparison to how few that they've had in the past. Now, I said this last year, and they absolutely sucked Mm -hmm. So, who knows? (laughs) But, yeah.
0: Right. So, the elephant in the room is obviously, you know, we're still pending the Jack Eichel deal. It doesn't feel like they can not
1: trade him. They've had a dispute over surgery. Uh, Eichel wants a particular kind of surgery. Buffalo appears to be uncertain about it. Apparently, their agreement was, okay, we'll trade you, and we'll let the new team decide if they want to sign on for that surgery. Uh, and Eichel has made it clear through public statements through his agent that he's not happy that he hasn't been traded yet. Um, I get the impression that teams like the New York Rangers, the Los Angeles Kings, the Minnesota Wild, who are the three that I hear the most, they're trying to lowball the Sabres on this and the Sabres are thinking, okay, we have to get a ransom for Eichel. I don't know how far apart they are. I don't know when this is going to happen. It wouldn't stun me.
0: It feels like the person who loses the most in this is actually Jack Eichel. Yeah, maybe.
1: It's, uh, it's a messy situation, to say the least. Yeah, because, well,
0: I, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Eichel still hasn't had whatever procedure he, he's, he wants to have. No. He's like just in this limbo where he's not going to be ready for the season, I don't
1: think. Yeah, and that's the frustration that you're seeing on his end is that he feels like he's kind of trapped in this this relationship with the team that he doesn't want any part of anymore. And so, yeah, I mean, I keep thinking, okay, this has to get resolved soon. But we don't seem to be getting any closer, even though it seems like this has to happen. Like, there's no situation where I see Eichel playing for the Sabres again. I don't see him doing that. So... We'll see where we're at after that's resolved. But that hangs over everything Mm -hmm. needless to say.
0: Yes. And, I mean, this team has... Without... I think... So, I think this cap running number includes Eichel. But their cap hit right now is $52 million. I mean, they have such a
1: limited team. And it's... You know, it's fine because they're tanking. Although, man, that Jeff Skinner deal. And you know what? I was... Way softer on it than it, than I should have been because I was like, well, at least Buffalo is keeping a player for once. Well, yeah,
0: I mean, we we both were, were. I think we both didn't like the deal. We're just like I, I think we just recognize that Buffalo's in a shit spot because they they want to contend. It's hard for them to acquire good players, and they they I guess somewhat stupidly played Jeff Skinner with Jack Eichel. He did really well, and then they stopped playing him with Eichel, right? Yeah.
1: Just taking time to sign so, a contract in between doing that, and yeah. and so now it's an albatross forever. They just have to live with that almost,
0: pretty much. Um, so let's get into the, the moves yeah. they did make. Uh, they acquired Robert Hag, one year, one point six million. The twenty twenty one fourteenth overall pick, which they used to select Isaac Rosen. Good name, maybe he's good. No, no clue. Um, they got a twenty twenty three second round pick from Philly for. Rasmus Ristalainen. Can you believe has this, yet? One year at 5.4 remaining. This is insane. <laughs> okay, so he, here are my notes. There's a few things in order of importance here. Uh, for One, pour one out for the Risto jokes we can no longer mm. make. The second is, how the fuck did this happen? I I just, <laughs> I don't understand the conception of this. Because even if Ristalainen, even if you think Ristalainen is good, l- let's say you think Ristalainen is super mm. good. He's undervalued. He only has one year left, and you have to pay to keep him. You traded... A, a, I don't know how good Robert Hagg is, to be completely But you traded, right, you still. know... Yeah, you traded a, a guy, and then a first and second round pick for one year of a guy. So you you basically pay like a rental price without any of the certainty that you were actually in position to capitalize on this rental. This is the kind of deal... Where let's assume that it's
1: just someone other than Rasmus Ristolainen who is good. This is the kind of deal you make where it's like, okay, we might only be able to afford him for a year, but we'll, maybe we'll get a, a good run out of it because we're near contention. Instead, you did that for Rasmus Ristolainen, a guy who has yes, been
0: and yeah, so like, bad <laughs> forever. Exactly. <laughs> like e- Even if this deal was like for 2019 Jake Muzzin, mm. we'd be like, yeah, and he was a free agent. Yeah. Right, We'd be like, oh man, that, that that's expensive, but Muzzin's good and he's going to help us. I, I don't love it, but yeah, it's something. But then you did this for Ristolainen, who is not Jake Muzzin.
1: Yeah, not at all. And everyone keeps saying, okay, we're not going to ask him to do nearly as much in Philadelphia as he was asked to do in Buffalo. Um, the Flyers acquired Ryan Ellis and another, another transaction, so presumably he's now their 1D of the future and the present. Uh, but it's like... The very high upside case on this risk is what you're assuming is going to happen. Like, you have to be assuming that Rasmus Ristelainen is actually, like, quite good. He can't just be not as awful as he looked in Buffalo. He probably isn't. But you have to be expecting him to be a bona fide, at least second-pairing contributor. And the rumor is that they've been looking to extend him fairly soon
0: well yeah i mean see that's the elephant in the room you don't you don't do this deal unless you a really really like russell and b you know you can extend Mm -hmm. them
1: and you know it hasn't happened so maybe they're at least having the sense to wait and see how he looks in the philadelphia uniform but this is an awful looking trade and i think that we can sound hyperbolic at times like every trade but that's like a million over Sorry, every contract that's like a million over expected,
0: people are like, "Oh, that's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. This is a really bad deal." Yeah, I'd like to think that we we tend to aver- avoid hyperbole so. generally. Like, we we'll, we'll often, at least, we try to very much say, "Okay, there's nuance to this deal. There's aspects that don't look good, but you can see the logic behind it." The logic behind this is based on one plus one equals seven. <laughs>
1: yeah, so you know,
0: it's 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 like Terrence Howard, man. Yeah, right?
1: like, you can't be doing this. So. Yeah, anyway, for, from Buffalo's perspective, this
0: is incredible. And... You know, the, the, this this deal like exemplifies the idea of, like, you know, the best time to build a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time mm, is now. Mm. The best time to trade Risto would have been a long time ago. But they traded him now, and it still worked. So, you know, it... Yeah. Yeah, and you know what?
1: I'm I tend to be skeptical of the uh, addition by subtraction things, where you just think, okay, this guy playing lots of minutes, getting replaced with guy, like that probably still makes you worse, even if guy was struggling with Ristolainen. I'm like, I'm genuinely not sure. Like the replacement level guy you get in may not be worse. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So even putting aside that Buffalo. I think is fine if they turn out worse out of this this season because they are tanking. Um, th- this is a highway robbery on the part of the Sabres. Yes.
0: Absurd deal from Buffalo. Um, the next trade, they acquired the rights to Devin Levi and a 2022 first round pick from Florida, which is top 10 protected for Sam Reinhardt, who has signed a three by $6.5 million deal in Florida. Um, this is kind of similar to the to the Connor Garden thing mm-hmm. where... You know, there's some decent assets here. But it it sucks... The position, the fact that you're in a position where you've mismanaged... I mean, Eichel and Reinhardt, who I think are... You know, Eichel's obviously better, but Reinhardt's a very, very good player. Uh, it sucks that you're in the position where their relationship is so untenable that you have to move on. Mm-hmm.
1: The fact that you're doing this sort of thing... Again, if you are giving up on good 25-year-old players, that means things went badly. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's just a reflection of that. Now,
0: right, and that's not Kevin Adams no. fault, but
1: Kevin Adams has in the early going done a competent job. It looks like it. Yes, but yeah. again,
0: this is one of those things. Everyone knows you're trading Sam Reinhart. Yeah. You call up 31 other teams and say, "We're trading Sam Reinhart," and you take the package you like the most. True.
1: And again, as we've said, it's always the building that's harder than the tearing down.
0: But still, yes. as you know. as as for Levi, himself, he's a He's a goalie prospect. I have no clue if he's considered a good or a bad goalie prospect. The good news is that so, because
1: he's a goalie prospect,
0: we could guess and we would be almost as likely to be right. So, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but yeah, the, the first round pick is good. Uh, the top 10 protection kind of sucks from Buffalo's perspective because essentially it means you, there's no upside. Or there's not no upside, but there's, there's less upside, right? Like if, if Florida has a disastrous year with Bobrovsky, um, for example. Yeah you know well maybe you could have snuck into the lottery that's not happening now uh, or you're into you stuck into a position where you win the lottery mm-hmm. um, you know that that's that's not happening now so uh kind of sucks from that perspective Florida might have just been smart and realized hey we still have some downside risk yeah. <laughs> and then like okay we're not we're not allowing for mm-hmm. that um, we'll talk about the Reinhardt deal when we get to Florida but it's a good deal uh then they acquired will Butcher who has a year at Originally $3.733 million, um, but 20, around 25% of it was retained, so the Sabres cap it is about $2.8 million, along with the fifth round pick that was from New Jersey. Um, Butcher is a UFA after the season. He is there so that they have someone to ice an NHL roster.
1: Yeah, and like Buffalo got a fifth for taking this. They can quite reasonably expect to get another pick of possibly comparable value at the trade deadline. If Mm -hmm. um with like a butcher, you know, and they can retain some more points or something like that. Like this is exactly the kind of thing that you do in Buffalo's position.
0: Yeah, and I mean, as we covered, Buffalo has so much cap space that they can they can retain another twenty-five percent on Butcher and essentially make him uh you know, a a rental at, I don't know, like one point nine million. Yeah, like which which is good. And then at in February that's that's actually not much money. Every team can have that and people always want defensemen. So i think butcher's a prime candidate to get traded
1: yeah um, and and then they signed i'm gonna cl- classify this as a bunch of guys we probably shouldn't go into yes. detail because we're already way behind but <laughs> yes <laughs> but Drake kajula Vinny Henestroza, mark pizzic craig anderson aaron dell uh john hayden uh the only one of those that even makes a million is Henestroza at 1.05 they're all one-year deals and uh they drafted yep. first overall this past year it wasn't as touted a draft because of the insane COVID season, but they got Owen Power, which is a very fun name. Um, and so he is, they hope, going to be one of their big top four defensemen of the future.
0: Well, I mean, I I, th- I think they're hoping for more than top four.
1: Yeah. I, I just might... The reason I say that is because I don't know how it'll shake out with Rasmus Deline but what I mean is they want him to anchor a pairing. Uh, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's 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 true. Um, So... In terms of what the Sabres are going to do from here, they still have one kind of big order of business to uh, satisfy, to, to, to finish up, and that is signing Rasmus Dalin, who is a UFA. So, I mean, right now, they, they, they have a crap ton of cap room, and you know, we talked to uh, our resident Sabres correspondent, Kevin, about this, and his thought was that, you know, they're, they're leaving this much cap room for a couple reasons. One, they need room to sign Dalian, and he expects them to go long on mm. Dalian as opposed to going short that makes sense. You go short when you want to capture short-term cap uh, you know short-term cap relief in exchange for having to probably pay more when the player is good and in their prime. Uh, the saver short-term cap relief means nothing. Mm-hmm. Like who, who cares? You're not winning a cup in the next 2 years, so why do you want Rasmus Dali cheaper now? You want him cheaper in 5 mm-hmm. years. So you're going to go long on Rasmus Dali. That's fine. Um, they also probably want to take back some salary in an equal deal or at least leave room to take back salary so that they can open up the Um, you know, market of interested teams to be a little bit broader. Mm -hmm. They also need to sign uh, Henry Yoki Harju and Casey Middlestat. So, but those guys will be significantly cheaper.
1: Yeah, it's actually, like they are at the point where if they don't come close to net zero on an Eichel trade cap wise, they'll be under the floor possibly Um, Mm -hmm. or, or close to it. So yeah, I mean, it's a nice problem to have and I'm sure they can resolve it. Um,
0: well even if you're under the floor I think all that happens is everyone on your team just gets paid slightly more
1: okay so basically one way or another they have complete freedom of action it's just that comes at the price of this team is absolutely terrible and at least it's yes, terrible on purpose but
0: yes and, and this is apparently a good year to, to tank
1: yeah um, so, so you know if they're picking in the top two or the top three this year you can call this a success it's not going to be a success on the ice um but at least it's a plan,
0: so. Yes, and one of the other things with them is, uh, they, we'll do an Atlantic preview later in the in the summer. The Atlantic looks like a tough division, mm-hmm. or it looks like a division with like haves and have-nots. Yeah. So they're going to get their ass beat by good teams at all. Yeah,
1: and you know, I think that they are fine with that. All you want to do is yes. make sure that Dylan Cousins doesn't get so depressed that he
0: wants to give up on the sport. And if you can do Pretty that, much. good for you. Um, okay, so next we should move on to Calgary. Yeah. Um, Calgary kind of belongs to the Anaheim boat in the sense that it's kind of an uneventful offseason. Unlike Anaheim where there's a clear plan of, okay, they're clearly tanking, you know, they're, they're going cheap. They're just going to let their prospects develop. Um, Calgary is just like, okay, well, they're not tanking because they didn't trade off their top players. They're not a good team because they didn't make the playoffs. Um, and I mean, they got a bit unlucky with goaltending and shooting and whatnot, but you know, if they made the playoffs, it would be as probably not a contender. So what are they doing? Well, um, to answer that question, they went and got the third best defender on Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) So they acquired acquired Nikita Zdorov's signing rights from Chicago, and he is still unsigned. Um, For a 2022 third rounder, that's actually Toronto's 2022 third rounder, which came from the Dave Riddick deal. They signed Blake Coleman to a six-year deal worth $4.9 million. So Mm. those two deals, let's talk about Coleman first. Um, Coleman's a very Mm. good player. I don't love how this deal will age. No. Uh, potentially very badly,
1: potentially very quickly. I, this feels <laughs> to me a lot like Calgary felt like the main problem with their team was spiritual, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, bringing in Daryl yes. Sutter, I think, emphasizes that. That's give your own players a kick in the ass. Blake Coleman is the kind of guy that stereotypically Daryl Sutter would quite like.
0: Yeah, well, I think every coach would yeah. quite like Coleman is, is just genuinely, he's a very good mm-hmm. player. The problem is he's, he's 29, you signed him for six years, and your team isn't your team isn't that good now that signing Blake Coleman puts you over the top. Like, if you, if, I don't know, if you add Blake Coleman to, in, in a world where the salary cap doesn't exist, um, and the Leafs can fit this under the roster with their current roster, would I be happy with the Leafs signing Blake Coleman for that contract? I'd be okay mm-hmm. with it, because he's really good right now. But, yeah,
1: with where Calgary but, is, it's a question of yeah. what are they thinking. Now, I've thought for a while they ought to be better than they are. I thought that last year. I picked them to make the playoffs, and I was wrong. Uh, but it does feel like they've gotten to a point where they're tired of their own team. They don't really know what to do with them. They're evidently not that great. And now it's like you've made this one move, and this is your offseason.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I mean, they do have Nikita Zadorov, yeah. but like, I don't, I don't think Zadorov's that no, good. Neither
1: do I. And he's certainly not fixing the big hole that you have when Mark Giordano got claimed. Even granted Giordano was older than God, you know, like that's a loss for them. Um, and, and so, yeah, this, this team is, uh, I don't think they know whether they're coming or going. And I anticipated that this was going to end in a Johnny Gaudreau trade because uh, he's unrestricted after this season. And, you know, if they want to keep him as an own rental, that's fine. But it's like, one, where is this team going to? Is that relationship any good? Because it hasn't sounded good Mm -hmm. for years. And so it's like, yeah, this team just looks like it's stuck in mediocrity. And because they're in the Pacific, which you will hear us say a lot in this uh, series, is a terrible division. Well, you hear, you'll hear us say it eight yeah, times. Yeah, uh, we will emphasize it every time because it's relevant to the team building of anyone in it. You have a way better... Imagine we just add it for, like, <laughs> Car- Carolina. Well, you know, they're in the Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, so the thing is is that there are a lot of teams in the Pacific that, were they in the Atlantic Division, would get their asses handed to them. But in the Pacific, yeah. they can credibly dream of the second seed. And so
0: Calgary can certainly aspire to make the playoffs.
1: But yes. What are they going to do it, when they
0: get there? It, it seems like that's that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Again, this isn't insane. We talked about this last year, where we, we you know, th- we kind of viewed Calgary as in this in the same tier as, as Edmonton and Winnipeg, mm. right? It's just that with different strengths. Calgary was the best team at carrying play, but didn't have great goaltending from Jacob Marstrom, which is a problem because they paid for great mm-hmm. goaltending. And you know, I think their special teams weren't great. Their shooting wasn't great. Whereas you know, Winnipeg and Edmonton were less good at five on five, but had you know, great. You know, great power player slash goaltending, uh, in the case of the former, and great power play slash elite shooting in the case of the latter. Um, so it, again, they're 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 not awful. They're not without merits, but yeah, like the long term vision here is unclear. I I don't see their immediate path to becoming even a team as good as say Toronto. Yeah. Like we're we're like even being a team that exists in the five to ten tier. Yeah. In, in the NHL. I, I
1: do think it's worth noting when we see a team that's in this kind of position, there are a couple of possibilities. As One is they just believe that they're better than they are. Two is they just kind of ran out of options and were not able to execute on the plan that they wanted. But another is also maybe they want to save a certain amount of money. And, and mm. you know, we tend to assume that Canadian teams, because of the passionate fan bases, are in strong financial positions. But the reality is Toronto and Montreal can generally be pretty comfortable financially. That's not true of every Canadian team. And and so if there's not a lot of confidence in Calgary right now and their ability to do something, which I would understand, um, it's not, like, I'm not sure that ownership would still keep opening the wallet for a year where they don't anticipate doing a whole lot.
0: Right. So maybe they're like, you know, maybe they just want to, have a tread water year, effectively. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, they they do still have space. They have enough to theoretically be in on someone like Jack Eichel.
1: Yes, although I'm not sure if they want to pursue that. I mean, you can see why they would, but you can also see, you know, I don't think Eichel is especially keen on Calgary from what I've heard. He,
0: no, probably yeah. not, but Eichel's also under contract for a while. Yeah, but
1: Guy, who's leaving his previous relationship in flames, uh, no pun intended, do you want to come to the to Calgary, already start off on the wrong foot, and then have a you know have to make up your mind about a, permitting a surgery? I don't know. Maybe.
0: Yeah, it it well. I think the the bigger block is I don't think they have the draft picks and prospects.
1: That's the other thing. Yeah, they don't have right. Uh, I mean, it depends what the bidding is at, but they don't have the prospects that New York or Los Angeles do. So
0: Right, like I think their best prospect is Connor Zeri.
1: Yeah, who I liked, but yeah, he was like a mid to late first. So
0: Right. So and and they have Jakob Peltier mm-hmm. as well. But again, so and that might actually be Jacob Peltier, I'm not I I am just kind of guessing about the pronunciation. It could be any of these. Um Yes. So yeah, I mean that's 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 Calgary for yeah. you. Uh not not a ton very exciting there, but they're in the Pacific, so it might not matter. And, uh, you know, to to be optimistic on their behalf, if Jacob Markstrom has a good year, they're a playoff team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: and, and it's not unrealistic that Mark, Markstrom has a good year because he's, you know, historically been a decent goalie.
1: Yeah, and you can certainly talk yourself into we will have uh, a good top six if Monaghan and Backlund can have little resurgences this year. And we'll have a decent top four on defense too, with Hannifin and Tanev yeah. and then Rasmus carrying and currently pairing. So.
0: And and yeah, Tanev had a you know we we, we thought Tanev was cooked. He looked cooked in in Vancouver. He had second life in in Calgary. So yeah. I mean, it's interesting how that how that can change, mm-hmm. right? Like when a change of scenery or you know different usage or you know whatever, it, it's 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 interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, one last note on Calgary: they're going to have to pay Andrew Mangiapane after this year. Yeah,
1: he's a good player, and he will collect. Some monies. Um, Carolina. Ooh.
0: Yeah. With, weird, weird year for, for a weird offseason for, for Carolina because they're a team that you think, okay, they're going to try and get into the next level of contention. They have made the playoff seat, I think, each of the last three years. Um, and then they usually lose to Tampa or Boston. Mm. Right? And... It seems, it's clear they're a good team, but you know they haven't shown it on the level of the great teams in the playoffs. Yeah. So it, it, it's weird. I don't quite get how their offseason takes them closer to that goal. That's the way I'd sum it up. Um, one thing we should say off the top, they still need to sign Andrei Sveshnikov, uh, who is uh, very, very, very good. But yeah, he, he remains unsigned, and after which they're going to have You know, very, very little cap remaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, notable transactions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's start with the the one that set hockey Twitter alight when when it happened. I was in Niagara Falls when this happened, and I was annoying my family because I kept checking (laughs) Twitter uh, instead of spending time with them. And they were unconvinced by me saying, guys, you don't understand, Alex (laughs) traded. Can't believe that didn't work. I know, Hmm. right? This is why I'm usually <laughs> So anyway, Carolina um acquired Jonathan Bernier's UFA rights, who has since signed in New Jersey, so they acquired nothing. And the 94th overall pick uh for Alec Nadelkovich's signing rights. Uh Nadelkovic went on to sign a two by three million dollar deal in Detroit. So, I mean this is very clearly a situation where Carolina just thought Nadelkovich was overvalued. They didn't think he was that good. Yeah,
1: Nadelkovich came in, gave them great goaltending for a tiny sample, like equivalent to a backup in a full season, and then that was it. And then they had to make a decision on whether or not to pay him. And
0: Yes, yeah. and they also, he, he's he been in their system for a while. Mm-hmm. So they've seen him in the minors as well, and they've, they've, they've tracked him through junior. And the argument I've seen, uh, I think the immediate reaction for fans was like, what the hell is Caroline doing? They, they had this young rookie goalie who's been really, really good, and they're giving him up after they've struggled so much with goaltending. And then like, I saw other people who were more familiar with uh, Nadokovich saying, you know, uh, Nadelkovic isn't that great a prospect, and this is it's only been 23 games or whatever that he's been good at the NHL level. Maybe Carolina just thinks this guy isn't very good because his AHL track record is nothing special. It does feel to me like
1: a lot of times when a player is traded, you'll hear them say they feel like the previous team didn't believe in them or something like that. Um, more in other sports where teams are, players are more vocal, but... You know, they'll say like, oh, I'm going to show them that sort of thing. Ndjelkovich has like legitimate reason to think that Carolina was straight up um, expressing their lack of faith in him. That's like this deal means they don't believe that he's that reliable or that he's worth betting on. And they went with a couple of veteran goalies with longer track records, which I think is consistent with the the Carolinas ethic, which is, you know, to get decent mid-level veteran goalies. Yeah, and
0: often get two guys. Yeah,
1: and then just try and run a platoon. And they do it every year. Like, this is exactly classic Carolina, so.
0: And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So those guys are Antti Ranta, who signed to two years by $2 million, and Freddie Anderson, who signed two years at $4.5 million. Mm. Um, These are kind of named goalies who, whose values are depressed for one of two reasons, or and actually sometimes both of those reasons. Um, injuries, in the case of Ranta. Mm-hmm an ineffective play in the case of Anderson and also injuries. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, we've, we've, we've no clue how to evaluate goalies. Mm. Um, standard goalie analytics that are public paint Ranta as good, but always injured. And they paint Anderson as having really struggled the last two years. Um, but we know that these can be quite variable. One thing I've seen is that, uh, I've seen said, is that Anderson tends to be quite good at stopping low danger, Shots and, and struggles at at higher danger mm-hmm. ones. And maybe Carolina thinks they can insulate him. Now, I actually don't think that's true because, you know, we always talk about Carolina as like this um, advanced stats play-driving juggernaut. And that that's, you know, true, but it's tilted towards the offensive mm-hmm. end. They're okay defensively. They're very good offensively. Mm. Right? So they're, they're not, you know, the Blue Jackets where they completely restrict you in the offensive zone. You can get chances against Carolina.
1: Yeah. And... You put that together, and I think that there's been a real outflux of talent from this team.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: it's only debatable in net, but like they've they've let some people go, um, yes. and haven't necessarily gotten a whole lot back. I mean, they've they've made additions, mm-hmm. but the other trade was yeah. for Bear. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is it Fogley
1: or Fogel? You know what? We're this deep in, and I haven't looked it up, so I don't know.
0: I, I swear to God. It's okay. Fogler. Well, we're going with what you say because I'm usually wrong. Okay. I, I cause I've, I've heard, we, we've seen games with him. I, I'm sure it's. I would have remembered if his name was Fogley. I don't know. What <laughs> do I want? Okay. Anyway, let's not worry about that now. We got to move forward.
1: The <laughs> the guy
0: who <laughs> 70 minutes into a podcast <laughs> debating the the pronunciation of a guy who isn't even on a team that we're covering there. Right yeah. Now.
1: <laughs> anyway, he's gone, and so we're not worrying about it for now. But yeah, and then Ethan Bear. Uh, is one of those defensemen who I view as like Travis Dermott's, like he looked good in a limited role, but was blocked.
0: Um, the team seemed less keen on yeah, Edmonton. I, yeah. I mean, I I, I think Bear's yeah. good. I th- like, I think he's, he's, he's solid. Okay. Um, he can, he can do a job on a second pairing, I think. And that's, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Uh,
1: and then they got a bunch of guys, one of whom is much more famous than the others.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. So the, the guys, um, Ian Cole, Josh Levo, Derek Stepan, Jalen Chatfield, uh, who you may remember from Austin Matthews undressing him, uh, Stefan Nosen slash Nason. St- he briefly had some Leafs connection. I still don't remember how his name is pronounced. Um, Brendan Smith, and then Anthony D'Angelo. So these are all guys on one-year deals. Ian Cole is making $2.9 The rest are basically all within 750 k to $1.35 million. Um, so let's actually briefly talk about Cole. Uh, he is a guy. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> Good chat yeah well no, yeah. I, I, he he he's whatever right um the the guy people want to talk about is Anthony D'Angelo. so the thing with D'Angelo is that aside from like the the scummy politics mm-hmm. this is the guy who apparently was not that popular in his own dressing room and the just the the litany of ethical issues that pop up and the second amount of second chances he's got, it's really disconcerting. Um, it's already put, like, Ethan Bear, actually, in a, in a weird mm-hmm. spot where um, Bear is, uh, an, is indigenous. And, you know, he was asked, like, how do you feel about sharing a dressing room with, with D'Angelo, who has had, you know, notable racial issues uh, in the past. Actually, I, let, let me not soft. pedal, it, Who has just demonstrated racist behavior. Uh, and Bear is, you know, re- he's saying, oh, I, I don't have a problem with it, you know, second chances, you know, give people a, a chance to, to show you there, whatever. He can't say anything else.
1: Yeah, that I felt bad for Bear in that situation. He, he has you know, no he's noise. in a rough yeah. spot there.
0: And, and that may be what he genuinely believes, but even if he didn't believe it, he'd have mm-hmm. to say it. Um, As for D'Angelo on the ice, he is a good but flawed player, and I think it seems clear that essentially what... Carolina is doing is they're betting that he can replace some of the departed Dougie Hamilton's power play ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should actually talk about, you know, the notable departures on, uh, Carolina. Cause as you said, there are a lot of them. Dougie Hamilton is the most prominent, uh, Peter Mrazek, Alex James Reimer, Warren, Warren slash Brock McGinn, Morgan Geeky, Jake Bean, Yanni Hakenpah, um, so some of these guys are more important than others, obviously, but that's a, that's a lot of talent that's lost. And, you know, models like Dom have viewed Carolina as having gotten quite a bit worse over this offseason. The thing about it... And I think yeah, sorry, go ahead. Most of it is because of Dougie Hamilton. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think there's an angle here where you say, okay, Hamilton has always looked unbelievable by shot metrics, but everyone on Carolina does. And it's possible that shot metrics are overrating Hamilton. There are a lot of typical hockey men who believe that. And yes, if you're in Carolina's position, maybe you say, okay, this next deal is paying him for what his best case scenario is. We believe we can replace him more cheaply. But even if Hamilton isn't a $9 million defenseman, even if he's a little bit overrated by that, I don't think it's arguable that A, you know, you've lost him, and then you've replaced him with a committee of Ian Cole, Brendan Smith, whatever's left there, and then Anthony D'Angelo for the power play contribution. That's worse.
0: Yes. And, it's yeah. it's inarguably worse. Yeah.
1: I, like, I don't see how that's not worse, even if in the long term, maybe Hamilton fades and you say, hey, we're glad we don't have that contract. But Carolina is a team in a position where we expected them to say, okay, now let's contend. Let's add to this group. Instead... This is a step back when we expected a step forward. Putting aside the cynicism of the Anthony D'Angelo thing, it's just even from a a cold perspective, you were content to get worse. Uh, It it seemed like. And I don't know what the Sveshnikov negotiation is going like, but everything that we've seen from this organization is that they want to lowball everybody that they possibly can. So yeah. I, I mean, looking at it from this perspective, if I were a Canes fan, I would say, one, I don't feel great that you prioritized Anthony D'Angelo. And two, I think you prioritized not spending a lot of money when we really expected you to.
0: Yeah. I mean, clearly what they're betting on is that their system and their other players are res- more responsible or at least you know, significantly responsible for their great 5-on-5 five five results as opposed to Dougie Hamilton, mm-hmm. right? And they still do have some great 5-on-5 five five defensemen. Um, Slavin and Pesci are going to be their most important defensemen, and they will, if they play together, they're going to play well. Yeah. We know that's a good pairing. We've seen it before. Uh, their depth D is now, as you said, a little bit rough because they've replaced, they've replaced Dougie Hamilton with, like, Brendan Smith and Ian Cole and D'Angelo, who are, who are not, you know, useless as hockey players, but they're not nearly as good. And over the past few years, Carolina had kind of transformed into a team Whose forwards are actually better than their defensemen in a lot of ways, like when you look at them as a unit mm-hmm. right um and part of that was you know they 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 signed, for example, Brady Shea, who is probably a bit uh too expensive for for what he offers, the Jake Gardner contract doesn't look great right mm-hmm. now, right so they, they've their defense has transitioned a bit uh, and it, it no longer looks as impressive as it once did um and Hamilton was a big reason why. And when, well, the combination of Hamilton, Slaven, and Pesci, was like, okay, those three guys and a bunch of flotsam is still a really, really good depth core. But now it's two guys plus a bunch of flotsam. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's unclear um, how that's really going to work. Overall, their contract structures are still good, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're still a good team. It's just you would, you'd expect them to want to be a, a great team. And they didn't take the steps to, to do that this offseason, really. Um, the thing is they could have kept Hamilton and still made it work with Svechnikov and then eventually with Natchez next year. Uh, they would have had to pay some money to get off someone. Maybe you have to attach a pick to Jake Garner and get off that deal. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but to me, that's, if I was in their shoes, that's a move I would have made. The fact that they didn't is, is odd to me. And maybe, maybe it's cost saving. Maybe it's just genuinely, they don't, they think they're as good now as they were before in which case I disagree. They're still a good team, but, you know, I think their chances to win a cup this year have gone down.
1: Yes, I would agree. I expect them to make the playoffs, but, I would be very frustrated with this offseason if I were a Hurricanes fan. I think that they had a lot of goodwill, and I think that they've dented it, and I also think that the the ugly kind of saying about them was that, okay, they'll never spend, they're going to cheap out, they're not uh, a real hockey team, and, I think the stuff with Sebastian Aho was suggestive of that. This offseason would really make me think, okay, is this team just going to let everybody walk in the interest of sticking
0: to its system when they have to? You know. Yeah, and I mean, like they're not cheaping out in the sense that they they're, their cap it right now is around 70 million. When they sign Sveshnikov, it'll be it'll be close to the upper limit. They'll have a little bit of room for flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um they're not like super cheaping out or anything like that but they could have done more mm-hmm. they're not maximizing everything
1: yeah and that's how i would feel about it so i don't know they'll still be good maybe they'll be better than i expect but i think that this is a disappointing offseason for them
0: um yes and as we alluded to um dom decision's model says they got significantly worse mm-hmm. this this offseason um and that's not what you want to hear when you're you know a team that wants to be a contender. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, how did the frying pan into the fryer now? Because we have to talk about the Blackhawks. Oh,
1: uh, yeah. good God! I
0: mean, um, yeah, just what a what a fucking mess yeah. that organization is right now. There's there's nothing really we can say about the assault case that hasn't already been said, but you know, it bears repeating that it's just profoundly disappointing and sadly unsurprising. The degree to which this was swept under the rug, the lack of accountability from the front office, from people who are still in positions of power in other teams, Mark Bergerman, for example, um, who you know pr- pretty clearly would have known about this issue and did not take it seriously. Yeah, it's yeah, just a disaster. Yeah, it,
1: like it. This whole thing sinks to high heaven. I don't know how else to put it, and I am immensely skeptical that plenty of the people who are now professing ignorance of what happened uh were really unaware so anyway i mean that's just that's awful that's that extends yeah. beyond yeah so i mean
0: yeah we're we're not qualified and haven't done the research to talk about this in a ton of depth and with a ton of um intelligence mm-hmm. but there are a lot of people who have and i think rick westhead in particular has done a lot of really outstanding research at at tsn a lot of good investigative reporting into this topic so i would you know recommend essentially reading what he has done he apparently did a good interview on the steve dangle podcast as well i'd recommend that um on the ice it's i mean it was better because it can't get worse than that <laughs> um but you know only by a little
1: it's uh it's a grim transactional off season two for sure
0: yes so um the blackhawks acquired seth jones and signed him to an 8-year, 9.5 million dollar per year extension that begins in 2022-2023. Okay, so this trade was big, so let me uh we'll we'll talk about the trade first and we'll talk about the contract. So, he was Jones was acquired along with the 32nd overall pick in the 2021 NHL draft and a 2022 sixth rounder from Columbus. In return, Chicago gave up Adam Boquist, the 12th overall pick in the 2021 NHL draft. The 44th overall pick in the 2021 NHL draft, and a 2022 conditional first rounder, which is top three protected. Okay. That is a huge, huge, huge cost paid by Chicago for a guy who we are not entirely sure is that good.
1: Yeah. The premise of this deal is Seth Jones is a Norris contending defenseman. That, like, he, yes. he has to be among the very best in the world at his position. The results in Columbus haven't borne that out lately. And there's always been a disparity with Jones with stats that think that he's decent but not extraordinary and coaches, pundits, commentators who believe that he is a genuine superstar defenseman. This is a maximum bet that the latter is true.
0: Yeah, this is the upmarket version of the wrist mm-hmm. ode- Uh In the sense that you're paying a lot for a guy with one year left, right? So you have to be convinced he's really, really, really good, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, based on that, you're only paying this if you're both convinced the guy's really, really good and you know you can sign mm-hmm. him. And Chicago did that to the tune of a $9.5 million extension for eight years. That The downside risk is enormous. Now, we should mention... It's possible the stats are wrong about um, Seth Jones. It's possible he's better than, you know, War and RAPM and isolated threat think he is, right? That's entirely possible. Columbus is in a weird spot. He had to, you know, we we talked about OEL as a guy who was like a fake number one in the sense of gets paid like a number one, but his usage actually doesn't really show that he's being trusted at like a number one. Jones was treated like a number one. He played a lot. He played against top players. The results weren't great, but you know you can convince yourself that he he's doing the right things that the team around him is failing him there isn't enough offense he does jump into the play he does score goals he does shoot i think reasonably well for a defenseman and those are all things you can look at and see those are tools that we can we can deal with and we can you know there's a there's a real player here he he the other thing is there's been years where he has had really really good um results mm-hmm. Right? So it's not as if he's always been a Risto-level black hole.
1: Right. And so I think that you can certainly believe reasonably that Jones is being underrated um, by some of the commentary on him. But what we want to keep emphasizing is he can be underrated and this can still be a huge risk. You are betting that he is the absolute best version of himself and that the stats are definitely underrating him. This is However much of a chance you think that you're wrong about this, that should be weighing heavy on your mind. Like this is a bet of near absolute certainty because you've made him so highly paid and, mm-hmm.
0: you know, 9.5 for eight mm-hmm. years is a marriage. <laughs> this is, well, this is also, this is the Mitch Marner yeah. problem. Uh, and, but like, um, and to be clear, this is a Mitch Marner problem with a guy who I don't think is nearly as good as Mitch Marner. Right, the Mitch Marner problem is this guy is really, really good. You're paying him like he's a top five player in the world, mm. which he isn't. He's very good. He's not in that tier. Yeah. With Seth Jones, you're paying him as if he is going to be in contention for a Norris every single year. With this contract, the preseason odds for Nor- or for Seth Jones to win the Norris, he should be like no worse than the third favorite every year. Yeah, like, like that's what that's what you're this paying. This
1: is for. the deal that you give Victor Hedman. You know mm-hmm. and. For Victor Hedman, we'd say, oh, that's expensive, but he's Victor Hedman. With Seth Jones, we're saying, we're still not sure what Seth Jones is in terms of relationship to the very 50 best defenseman in the NHL. Is he one of them? Maybe. But again, yeah, you bet huge. Um, And again, Chicago sucked last year in some respects. I mean, they had a, a sort of a firecracker offense. Jonathan Tays missed uh, the whole year Uh, and their issues were defensive. So you can see why they're thinking, okay, we're going to get the absolute dynamite number one stud defenseman of our dreams and he will shore up our weakness. And maybe we have reason to believe that that's going to help, but boy, I don't know. I really don't know about this bet because it seems to me like this is a huge pushing of chips to the center of the table for a team that was not good last year.
0: Right, and that's the thing. This, Jones makes them better because I think he's better than Duncan yes. Keith. And he, those are the minutes he's mostly going to be replacing. We'll talk about Keith shortly. Um, but, and I think generally Chicago has gotten better this mm-hmm. year. But how much better have they gotten? I think they've gotten better enough that they'll be in contention for a playoff spot. And, you know, again, like, what's the long-term vision here, mm-hmm. right? Is, is it too... And it might, it might honestly be... Let's try and get a playoff spot for the last couple years of Kane and Taves. And then we rebuild around Jones and Brinkett. Yeah. And you know what? And, and maybe that's sure. it. Right. Um, so but it's not, it's not the most insane plan in the world, but like the, the risk is really enormous because if Jones isn't that guy, you're, you're in a really, really, really rough mm-hmm. spot. Um, okay. So the other moves, they acquired Caleb Jones, Seth's brother and a 2022 conditional third rounder from Edmonton for Duncan Keith. So, I mean, we talked about this uh, briefly when it happened, didn't we? It this is just an absurdly good move from Chicago's perspective because Keith was Keith's money was awful. Yeah. Um. They they got an asset for it, but yeah, it, it's it's a really 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 good deal for them. They kind of blew it by or not blew it, but they they squandered a lot of the goodwill by, you know, spending some of these savings on a deal with as much downside as the Seth Jones mm-hmm. one. But. This move in isolation is very good.
1: Yeah. I would have anticipated having to pay to unload Duncan Keith in sort of a rational market because he has been uh, bad for the last five years. He's struggled. He's been a, you know, uh, still a somewhat capable offensive defenseman, but part of one of the worst defenses in the NHL. And he's been a huge Mm -hmm. factor of it. I think he led the league in expected goals against. The last, in, yeah. you know, when a raw number, that's not entirely his fault, but again...
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I also think he, he's probably one of the guys who, like, has, like, the worst, like, are among the worst warriors in the league, because mm-hmm. he's not... I don't think he's very good anymore, but he also gets played absurd minutes and in positions where how good he is is consistently... or how bad he is is consistently exposed. Yeah, Right? Like, I don't think he's actually the worst player in the league, but he's maybe the player who is contributed the most negative value.
1: Yeah, because there's such a disparity between what he can do and what he's asked to do. And... Yeah, I think he'll be asked to do less in Edmonton, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, yeah, so I think certainly they're happy to have cleared that out, and then Caleb Jones probably helps solidify the relationship with Seth Jones, which they clearly value. Um, they made a couple of other big transactions.
0: Yeah, they signed Jake McCabe, four years, four million uh, per year. If it's not clear, I also, I we're always mentioning it on an yeah. AAV basis, not a total contract basis. Um, that, that's, I think a good move. That's actually, he might be their best defenseman yeah. ahead of Seth Jones. He, it's possible. He's one of those guys uh, which, who again. looked good defensively in
1: Buffalo. That's very hard to do. And mm-hmm. so maybe there's something there. They're betting that there is, um, of all the sort of mid-tier defense bets that we saw this off season. I like this one better than most of them, I'd say.
0: It's like, a, a, yeah. a, a there's like muzzin-ish, Brody-ish potential here, yeah. right? To relate it to, to Leafs contracts where, you just get a guy who is a good defender for a good amount of time at a good cap hit, and you're happy. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. So Brennan Hagel and Juju not that guys. Uh, they traded for Mark Andre Fleury, and just took him. We saw a lot of deals this year that were just for nothing, which was fascinating. Uh, I'm used to seeing future considerations as a fig leaf or something to make it look like a trade, but yeah, Fleury has one year left at seven million. He's apparently ambivalent about whether he wants to play in Chicago at the moment. Is my understanding. Uh, no, I, I think he, 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 was gonna he agreed it?
0: to play. Okay. Yeah. I remember Chicago tweeted about okay. it. Which, which was like, yeah, not a great look in the middle of everything else that's going on. Oh, God, yeah. I, I do feel bad for Chicago's social media manager because like, they weren't involved in this in all likelihood. And they will be the public face of, the, of, of it. Oh, and side note, by the way. Um the fact that like Stan Bowman came out at the draft with like the Avengers Endgame style girl power moment that was so brazen was disgusting just, and cynical.
1: I mean like and but like nobody falls for that. You, you know like and, and it just yeah. it cheapens their actual achievements by using them as some sort yes. of shield for your I, horrible thing. Yeah,
0: using them as as, as props to yeah. be just like, "Hey, look, we respect women yeah. so much that we are using these six ladies as tokens." Yeah just ugh. right as to show how like to show as, as like some weird PR stunt. It's yeah. I, I felt bad for the, for the women involved and like, it, it was just not a good no, look. It was
1: not. Um, so yeah, so Flurry may solidify their goaltending a little bit.
0: Yeah. And again, if he's good, he helps them. flurry has been very, very yeah. good recently. Very good recently. Yeah, and
1: it's one year. So yeah, yes. not much risk. Um, and, and it, I have to admit a remarkable transaction they traded for Tyler Johnson from Tampa Bay, who has three years left at five million, and got a second. And in exchange, they sent them Brent Seabrook's LTIR contract.
0: Yes. So I think the idea from Tampa is just that, like this will help them maximize LTIR more effectively.
1: Yeah. Like they converted right. a player who was not on LTIR for one that is, and they paid a second mm-hmm. for the privilege. Uh, Chicago gets a guy who is still a decent player, and Brent Seabrook is never going to play again. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then we've already covered a lot of their departures, so
0: we're so behind now we've got to start
1: moving. But uh, Yeah,
0: sorry. Yeah, it's okay. yeah we're, we're 90 minutes in and we're at the sea. <laughs> we're not even done the sea. We still have Columbus. we got so much to do.
1: Okay, so uh, camp, defensive center to Toronto, whatever. Boakfest, we've talked about. Hinnestroza, decent player to Buffalo. Uh, Nikita Zadorov is Gonzo. The only really surprising one of these was Pius Suter, yes who was yeah he was their de facto first line center for s- stretches of yeah. this year obviously with tays out and because they aren't deep he got he was productive he played with patrick kane and alex de Brinkett most of the time so i'm sure like there are good reasons to be cautious about him i was a little surprised they didn't even qualify him
0: but yeah i well i saw some people say that like oh you know maybe maybe this is like a smart play by by bowman because he wasn't going to who uh, wasn't? He didn't want to resign Suter for whatever reason. But it's like, okay, well then just qualify him and trade his rights. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I get something for him. Get get the seventh round pick. That's better than anyways. Yeah. Whatever. It's it's not a big deal. Pie Suter is in Detroit now. Whatever. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. We'll just breeze through this. It, it's 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 unclear how good Taze is going to be. He's planning to play this year. Um, it seems like their goal is to you know they spent a lot. They made some long term, well a very very long term commitment to Seth Jones. And the idea is they are going to. Probably be better this year than they are last, than they were last year. Good enough to make the playoffs. Maybe. They'll be in the contention, probably. Um, but then the long-term questions are really, really murky because what happens when candidates re- retire? Um, they probably don't really care. They have three cups. Mm. So whatever, everything. for Everything now is gravy. Paying the piper. Whatever. Okay. Uh, okay. Now let's move on to Colorado. Okay. So we're almost halfway through.
1: Yeah. That, that's a great. We're on track <laughs> to take like a
0: six-hour podcast. Um yeah. You wrote honeymoon is over for this one. Well, in the sense that they had to pay people, right? They basically had to pay people. And as a result, that means they're going to be worse. Most likely, they're going to be worse next year than they were last year. Now, that does not mean they were bad because Colorado was absurdly good this year. And even now, like going through their roster, it's stacked. It's just not as stacked as it was last year. Mm. Um, notable transactions. Okay. Signed Kale McCarr, six years, $9 million. Really expensive deal. He's worth it. Good job. Yeah. Um, acquired Curtis Mcdermott from Seattle for a 2023 fourth-round pick. Mcdermott is just a kind of crappy defenseman, as far as I can tell. I don't know why they want him. Uh, retained Gabe Landeskog, eight years by $7 million. Again, expensive. Very, very good. Their captain. Kind of hard to justify letting your captain walk when you're a contending team. He's very, very good defensively, and he is a big part of one of the best lines in hockey. So, you know, again, you, you hold your nose and you pay him because... You're not going to have Nathan McKinnon at $6 million forever, and this is one of your best chances to mm-hmm. win. All right, uh, we mentioned this trade from the Arizona perspective. They acquired Darcy Kemper for uh, one year and $3.5 for them because Arizona retained. For Connor Timmins, 2022 first-round pick, 2024 conditional third. Expensive, but same idea as Landeskog. They lost Grubauer. They can't waste a prime a year of McKinnon, uh, renting and McCart with a shitty goalie. So you pay to get someone who you are reasonably confident in. And then they just signed some other lower end ish guys or cheaper contracts. Darren Helm, one by one. That's a weird deal. Stefan Matteau, whatever. Tyson Jost, two years, two million. That seems fine. Ryan Murray, one year, two million. Really good acquisition, I think, actually, to help bolster some of the losses they experienced. Um, now, where this team got worse is with the departures. So, do you want to go through that? Because I just monologued my way through sure. the first So,
1: half. they lost their starting goalie, Philip Grubauer, to Seattle. He signed there for six years at 5.9 million. Jonas Dunskoy, uh, very good. Neat middle six forward, in my opinion. Also to Seattle, two years at 3.9. Uh, Brandon Sad went and took five years at 4.5 in St. Louis. Saad is in some decline, but still pretty good. Ryan Graves, two years at 3.167 to New Jersey. He looks like a loss, but I anticipate he won't look as good in New Jersey as he did in Colorado, to be honest. Um, yeah. yeah. Connor Timmins was well thought of, went in the Arizona trade. Uh, pierre Edward Belmar, two years times one million in Tampa Bay okay depth forward, but they can survive him. And they lost Patrick Nemeth three years at 2.5 to the Rangers. I think like they lost a starting goalie and replaced him with Kemper. And then they lost a a pretty decent defenseman. And then a couple of second line forwards, I'd say.
0: Yes. So it's really just like the, the depth is, is the, the depth has taken a hit because, you know, essentially none of the players who they've acquired knew uh were were were, we're guys are guys who are going to play big roles. Now, I think basically everyone they lost is a cap casualty. It eats away at their depth, but they they still have internal replacements possible, right? They can replace some of these guys by committee because they're so deep. They still have guys like Nichushkin in, in in their middle six, right? They have um Jost there. They have Burakovsky, who's on a very good deal. Um Bowen Byram's want to improve, he can help mitigate the loss of Graves and Murray helps insulate that as well. Uh Nemeth and Belmar were underrated good depth players. Um, one of the reasons Colorado was was quite strong last year is they basically never iced a bad player. Everyone was, like, decent. That doesn't seem like it'll be the case this year because McDermott and Helm both seem like they are bad players. But, um, yeah, like, may, maybe the rise in Colorado tide will lift that boat uh, as well. They also, they still have Alex Newhook as well, who's who's going to come in. He's, like, a super high-end touted prospect, right? So he overplays some of the depth... They've lost some players. They lost some certainty. They're still going to be really, really, really good. And the question is just goaltending.
1: Yeah. This team with decent goaltending should win the Western Conference.
0: Yeah. That's the scary thing about them. They only need average goaltending. Like most teams, that need to be, okay, yeah, we need, we need some above average goaltending. We can be a contender. With Colorado, it's like literally just stop the shots you're, shots you're expected to stop. And we are, we are good. Yeah. And,
1: and you know, there is some question. Their stats looked fantastic last year. They were beating up on a not that great division. But I think this team is pretty clearly established as a contender. Like they were playing their third-string goalie um, in the playoffs a couple of years ago, and that's probably the only reason they got knocked out in seven.
0: So yes, and they they still have Eric Johnson, by the way, who I think was injured Mm -hmm. through most of or through a large portion of last year, Uh, and it's unclear what his health is now. But again, like (laughs) we've mentioned, six guys, like all of them are pretty good, Mm -hmm. right? Eric Johnson's not what he used to be, and not what was expected from a first overall pick but he's overqualified for a depth role.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, they're good. They got a little worse, but they're still fantastic. I guess is how I'd put it.
0: Yes. And this was just like inevitable. Yeah. Um, you know, you, the cap means you can't keep teams like this around forever, but they're actually as well insulated to deal with this as any other team because of people like Byron and Newhook and how good their depth is already. Yeah.
1: So they're going to get more kicks that they can. I'm sure they want to take advantage of them. The future is now is a big thing, but they're yes. well positioned. Um, The Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, This is where I started taking notes, so I'll start doing the (laughs) transaction end of it a little bit more. Uh, I think beating the Leafs in the qualifying round might be the last hurrah for a while for this team. Um, We've already talked about the Seth Jones trade from the other end, so I won't recap it other than to say they got Boakfist, the 12th overall pick in 2021, the 44th overall this year, and next year's Chicago first, but it's lottery protected, so if Chicago totally bombs out and picks in the top three, it rolls over. Um, so this in and of itself looks like a great trade for the Blue Jackets. You, it you does. That, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it was a, it, it immediately restocked their prospect pipeline or their draft pick, Yeah, you know, like, it, it, uh, it helps.
1: And, you know, for a contract that I think we've already said, maybe not the most enviable. They may have dodged a bullet in the long term for that one. So mm-hmm. I, I think they're certainly fine. It's just. It's a really glaring trend in Columbus at this point that a lot of the good players want to leave. And in this individual case, it's fine. In Bobrovsky's case, for example, they're, I'm sure, over the moon that he didn't want to sign a contract with them now. But they're not a good team anymore because so many good players keep leaving. And at this point, it's kind of an undeniable trend. And that's worrisome for the long-term health of the franchise.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I I do wonder what exactly they can do to fix it.
1: Yeah, they're they're still um, in Columbus, Ohio, no matter what they do.
0: But. Yeah, well, and I I think there was there was some article in the Athletic where it like talked to a bunch of former players about why why they had trouble retaining stars. Mm-hmm. I, I unfortunately forget most of the conclusion, but I think people seem to be okay with Columbus as a city. Mm. It was just like the team wasn't always great or, you know, or things like that. Yeah.
1: What a lot of it said was there was a guy and it was an ex-Columbus player. And he said, once you get here, you appreciate the city just fine. But he also said that apparently in RFA and other negotiations, Columbus is famous for taking a very hard line. You know, they feel like they got to save every dollar that they can. And that's fine. Maybe you end up with a good deal out of that. But then when the player approaches unrestricted free agency... And you're basically counting on a certain amount of goodwill to get them to come back when they could go anywhere else. Um, Right. You may not have a lot left to rely on. And so I think that's something they got to address. Now, for now, I think they're going to be bad for a while. So maybe it's not a matter of competing in free agency, but it's something that they want to look at in the future. Um, Mm -hmm. They traded winger Cam Atkinson to Philadelphia for winger Jacob Voracek. Basically, Atkinson has four times uh 5.875 million left Voracek has three years at 8.25 uh voracek has had higher offensive peaks in his career as a a one-time elite playmaking ringer but atkinson has looked better lately i think voracek is more talented they are the same age philadelphia maybe wins this in the shorter term maybe down the road columbus is happy they don't have that fourth year
0: yeah i mean that's probably when columbus is targeting actually being good yeah
1: and you know what that's that's understandable um, they traded the second to Carolina for Jake Bean's RFA rights. Uh, then they signed him for two years at 2.3. Bean has been well thought of since his draft year, but then he got kind of blocked in Carolina. So maybe we'll find Pretty out. Pretty
0: standard, you, you know, know, uh, acquire a guy who, who has too many people on the depth chart in front of him. Yeah.
1: And so maybe he'll turn out to be quite good. I don't know. Uh, they signed Sean Corrale, who is exceptionally Columbus type player, uh, four years at 2.5 million he hasn't been that great lately and he doesn't produce. And every time they give a depth guy, a fourth line guy, four years at 2.5 or something like that, I'm like, don't do that. You just don't, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, karate was a good player, um, but it's just, it it seems like a bit of an unnecessary risk. And it's like, well, I I mean, I guess the the downside isn't that enormous in in the sense of they're going to be bad anyways. Now they're going to be bad in a palatable way. They have a guy who's going to play hard. Do all that fun yeah, stuff? Set an it's example. the fourth year. The and maybe
1: you say, "Well, you get out of it." They got out of the Matt Martin contract. The Leafs did. I mean, so yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, and then they gave Zach Werenski a huge extension, six years at nine point five eight three. I think like I think this is a Columbus tax, to be honest. Like
0: they had to pay yeah. A little extra, I, but... Well, I, I think it's like signaling in, yeah. in, in a sense of like we don't want to lose our entire you know. Uh, uh, for for so much of the last few years the the Jones and Morensky was like the the crown jewel of young defensemen pairings mm-hmm. right and of young defensemen generally and i think you know the, the luster has come off in part because you know people have started kind of understanding wondering well if these guys are so good why are the results kind of meh with that? yeah um but it's also you know from Columbus's perspective there's there's attachment there and you, you don't want to you, you don't want to signal to your fans, hey, the guys you spent the last five years loving, they're, they're shit now. They're, we don't care about them. They're gone. Yeah, and so they
1: had to do something. Uh, it is a bit notable that Wierenski and Jones, were they reunited, would now be the most expensive defense pairing in the league, to my knowledge, unless uh-huh. uh, San Jose does something weird. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think they had to keep somebody, and he's young enough that like, there's not a ton of term risk, but like, that's more than I'm confident Wierenski is worth. Let's put it that way. Uh-huh. Um, they extended Boone Jenner four years at 3.75. Okay. Um, they extended Patrick Laine in the sense of they gave him a qualifying offer and he picked it up for one year at 7 million. Um, Laine was almost certainly correct to do that because nobody was going to want to give him more. Um, he had a, just a dreadful year in Columbus after being traded there relatively early in the season for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Mm-hmm. Columbus has gotta sort that out. They don't have a lot going on, so their their new head coach, who was newly promoted assistant Brad Larson, he has to be thinking, how do I get something out of Patrick Line? And that doesn't mean, you know, put him down and on the fourth line.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they extended to Alex Texier and Eric Robinson, who are both fine. Sort of depth guys. Um, so for departures, we've talked about Jones and Atkinson, Michael Delzato, not much lamented. Went to Ottawa. Uh, and then head coach John Tortorella, who I think defined this era of the Blue Jackets, to be honest. Like, all the things that yeah. I think of. The super fourth line with Sam Gagne, their relentless, hardworking identity. The fact that they piss off a lot of their best
0: players. <laughs> yeah, well, and It's worth saying this has been the most successful run in Blue Jackets history. Mm-hmm. You know, it culminated with one series win. And look, we're in no position to throw stones there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it was, th- this is as good as it's gotten for Blue Jackets fans. And, you know, I think it could have gone, there- there's a world where they'd make the same moves and it works out a bit better. It just didn't.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think, you know, they tried to do certain things well. They had a lot of talent pass through the organization, but there were obstacles um, about player retention that they struggled to overcome. And I think it's left them in, in a tough position. This team is going to be very bad. Mm-hmm. So, yep. All right, on to the Dallas, Dallas Stars. Yeah, uh, and this is a bit tragic too, in my opinion. You know, they made a run to the finals as a pretty good team, and I think that that was the best shot that they're going to have uh, at a championship. They extended Miro Heiskanen
0: eight years at eight point four five. Um, basically similar to the McCar deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, McCar's is getting paid. M- I mean, it yeah. is better in the sense that like it's it's a friendlier for the for the team because he's I think getting paid less and for more years yeah. but yeah you know, people probably see so the car a, as better as he's gonna
1: yeah it's it's a big deal but and they're paying him to be you know like a bona fide number one but i think he can do it and he's 22 so i think that that's fine
0: yeah it's an eight-year deal that like basically captures almost no you know almost no serious decline like i, I know we always say oh hockey players peak at like 25 or whatever but like they maintain their level you know from in their late 20s too and they don't get much worse yeah
1: so it's, it's so. a pretty intelligent bet um they signed luke Glenn Denning for two years at 1.5 which i mostly like because it makes the david Kampf deal look better
0: yeah i if, if you're if you're an aspiring nhl player uh and you're on the fringes learn to take faceoffs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just do yeah. it and also you know play right d if you can yeah. be a right d who can take face <laughs> faceoffs that's, so that's, the ideal. That, that's the key yeah
1: and can kill penalties um yeah, They signed Braden Holtby one year at $2 million. He had some tough few years. It's interesting because Ben Bishop and Anton Kudobin are already there, so I guess they don't think Bishop will be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, they signed Ryan Suter off the scrap heap because he'd been bought it by Minnesota. This deal ends on LTIR. I'm going to tell you that right now. But uh, four years at 3.65. For a guy who was still quite good last year.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, today. the buyout itself was just weird yeah, we'll, but, we'll get um, to that
1: but like anyway i i think he's plausibly an improvement on jamie alexiak um alexiak is younger and had a decent year but i think they can hope for good things out of suitor at least this season and they signed yanni hankan pa three years at 1.5 million i i never had occasion to consider yanni hankan pa until this offseason but apparently the leafs made a similar offer to this
0: Kids failing being really good at faceoffs be really tall. Yes.
1: Have you tried that anyway? But it was a weird market for
0: defense, is what I'm saying. No kidding. Um, notable departures. Jamie Alexiak went to Seattle in expansion. Five years by 4.6. Similar, you know, again, it was a weird year for yeah. defense. <laughs> um, Mark Pissick to Buffalo. One year, 900K. That's weird. Um, Pissick, I mean, we didn't mention this to Buffalo. Pissick, is, is, he's still decent, isn't he? Um, yeah, I
1: think so. Anyways. I mean, he also... Weirdly got played at forward, which you don't see too often.
0: But. He scored a hat-trick against the yes, Leafs at some point. in the, like Not last year, the year before, which I think was weird. It's going to be burned to my memory for a while. Um, yeah, so Sagan and Ben are, I guess, yeah. the elephants of the room. In the sense that this team was built around them, they are now old and getting injured. Again, this was not like a wasted contract. They, met, they made the finals. That means mm-hmm. something. Um, but yeah, paying the piper. They still have Joe Pavelski who it's retained his effectiveness.
1: Yeah, but he's 37 now.
0: And yes. Alex
1: Razilov missed most of the last year with a core muscle injury. So, you know, a lot of their best
0: players are older injured or both. And Yeah, th- like, this, is, this is just this is an amazing team in 2016. Yeah, uh,
1: and, you know, now it's... Their forwards are probably not good enough, despite the rise of Jason Robertson, because they're just too old. Um, yeah you, you know and that's tough they're going to have a good defense this year based around high skinning klingberg and Suter. and you know that's that's and, great and
0: the sharks have kind of gone full circle from being like this fire wagon team or it's not the sharks oh, the stars i said uh um from being this fire wagon team to like being this really kind of dull team now that it excels defensively yeah
1: and, and you know that just doesn't They probably don't score enough, and so I think that they're passable, but I think that in the end it's going to be, there aren't enough people who can produce goals, and that's even putting aside, Pavelski has aged really, really well, Mm -hmm. and so if he has another season like last year's, this year, great, but like at any time he could fall apart.
0: Yeah. They're they're still a fine team. Like they're not going to be bottom of the league bad. Yeah. I think I I see them as like around around league average, maybe a little bit better. Depend again, as always. There's so much variance because it depends so much on how goaltending goes.
1: Yeah, and they've got three guys who they can hope to cobble together some sort of rotation from. So yeah. yeah.
0: Um. But like th- this this isn't a bad team. It's just probably not a contender anymore, and they're kind of just slowly petering away.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's the thing is that they're still trying to hack at it, but it's it's not going to happen likely. So. Uh, The Detroit Red Wings were terrible last year They will be terrible again Uh, Notable transactions They traded Richard Ponick But retained 50% on him So of his 2.7 million Half of that is still in Detroit Next two years And they also added a second to get Nick Letty For one year at 5.5 This was a weird deal Stop doing favors for the Islanders guys Like what the fuck Yeah and like It just seems like it would have made a lot more sense if Ponteck had no retention, and the second were on the other side of the deal, like,
0: yeah, I just think Lou did a really good job negotiating here. Like that—that's that's a really good yeah, deal uh, with for, for the Islanders, ostensibly
1: Steve Iserman, who is considered yeah. to be
0: you know the the
1: genius GM. But you know Arizona did a million deals like this this offseason where they got paid picks to take on guys, and Detroit, <laughs> who should be in a similar competitive position, somehow paid to do this, and so you have to assume that they like him, you know.
0: But it's also again, like, what's the? Why are you paying for Nick Letty? What's the upside here? You have him for a year, and then you have to pay for him in free agency. I th- um, maybe you wouldn't get him otherwise. But you know, Letty's not a spring chicken. No. So is are you seeing him as an important part of the next good Red Wings team? Because if so, that suggests um, like I, that's something I would disagree with.
1: I think that they wanted good vets for their some sort their um, educational value, for lack of a better phrase. Like, yeah. I think you know they did the same thing with Mark Stahl. Uh, Mm -hmm. and and again they're just content having these players it doesn't really matter in terms of their cap space this year is irrelevant because they're going to suck regardless it's just
0: yeah it's just it's just the asset side of things like it's the second round pick really that's the problem who cares about the retention really they're not using that cap space if they could have like in in a hypothetical world where they could retain even more and then get not have to trade the pick i think they should have done that yeah Uh,
1: and, and so it was, it was kind of dubious from that perspective. Um, we already mentioned the trade for Ndalkovic. They ended up giving him two years at 3 million. That's a decent bet for him to be the goalie of the future. It, it ends in two years, obviously. So if he doesn't turn into anything, they can cut him loose pretty painlessly. If he does turn into something, they will have to give him a raise, but this is a, it's a fine enough mid-level bet. Um... They signed Pius Suter, who we've already mentioned from Chicago, two years at 3.25. We'll get a chance to see if he's anything, I think, in Detroit, because he's not going to have quite as good a situation, I expect. Like, I assume that he'll be playing behind Larkin. But, uh, yeah, uh, they traded a sixth for Mitchell Stevens, who cares. Uh, Signed Jordan Esterly. They extended Jacob Verana and Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, Verona got three years at 5.25. Bertuzzi got two at 4.75. I think they're both pretty decent extensions and they should both be tradable.
0: So, Uh, and neither are like, uh, neither are huge bets, uh, in the sense that you can get out of them pretty easily or let them expire. But you know, you Verona, especially you, that could have some, some real value in the second or third year, Mm -hmm. uh, if the Red Wings get a bit better.
1: Yeah. Uh, Departures, Bernier Ponak, mentioned above. Uh, Dennis Chalowski went to Seattle. He's an RFA there. And they lost Glenn Denning and Helm. None of that is concerning at all. So I think these are all like fine moves except for the Letty trade, which is not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. It's just, this is a team that was very bad and they didn't do a whole lot and they'll be very bad again. And we've mentioned the Atlantic. You know, Detroit is going to be cannon fodder. Which I think they're fine for this year, but this is when you want to start seeing big steps from Philip Zadino, Joe Valeno, Lucas Raymond, because
0: and Nadelkovic, yeah,
1: and Nadelkovic now. And so I think Detroit is targeting twenty twenty two, twenty three, as when they start, start actually ascending, building it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah,
0: I I agree with that. Um, this year's is more of the same. Try and get you know a first overall pick and get a blue chipper. Yeah. Pretty much.
1: And you know what? Uh, best of luck to them. It, anyway, it's a coherent strategy, and that's fine. I'm just going to say, like, you get one more year of this, and then something start, has to start. So.
0: Yes. Uh. Um. Okay, we've been rushing through these, yeah. which we we need to do. Yeah. But this next one, can we we need to through.
1: <laughs> the Edmonton Oilers. Half of yes. this segment is mostly just so that we can talk about the Oilers. Um. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> What's <laughs> just my comment on that? So we talked about the trade for Duncan Keith. They gave up Caleb Yeah, Jones. we don't need to go through yeah. the parameters again. But Basically, Keith has two years left at 5.538. He hasn't been worth his contract in five years. You can say he'll look better in Edmonton because they don't need him to be a 1D. They've got Darnell Nurse for that forever. But he probably will look better. But again, we've just been over this. Why were you paying to take on a contract for a guy who hasn't been good in five years? And it's like, everyone will look better
0: on your team. You have Connor fucking McDavid. They have not, like that, that's, that's not learned that I, lesson. Yeah, it's like, okay, cool. This guy's going to be better on him. team. Yeah, of course he is. So would any of the <laughs> other guys you got. Or you could have gotten. Like, you know, pass the puck to Connor McDavid is not that hard at the NHL level, right? So, yeah, this is... It's just, I have no idea how Holland got kind of fleeced this badly in the sense that he had all the leverage here.
1: He pretty clearly decided that this was what he wanted. He wanted this player and his three Stanley Cup rings, and he was going to get it. And he utterly lost a negotiation in the course of doing so. Like, I think that's unequivocal. Even if you think, okay, Keith was worth acquiring for whatever reason, experience, ring magic... Uh, You know, there should have been no reason why he should have cost much of anything. Chicago should have been desperate to unload him, especially since Chicago has convinced themselves that it's time to try and make another run of the playoffs. So they needed the cap space by their own perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, They extended Ryan Nugent Hopkins eight years at 5.125. I actually don't mind that. Um, It's not you know, great. And he's older than maybe you might think he's 28. Yeah. Um. But that said, he's a good power play player. He's also one of their few good forwards. The cap hit itself is fine. Even if you're biting a little bit of risk on the term, this could end badly, but I don't hate it.
0: Well, and this is actually a theme with the yeah. Oilers um, moves in that the Oilers, have, I think are better this year than they were last mm-hmm. year. And like by a not insignificant margin, it's just, They've taken on huge long-term risks to do so. And, I mean, the Keith move actually doesn't fit into that because there's only two years on it. But that's just a move where like, we don't actually think they, they really got much better for mm-hmm. it. They, right? The, 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 loss, the loss there is in the assets. What basically happened is that they made a the bunch cost. of
1: painful bets at forward, but ones that mm. will help in the short term at least. And then they made some dubious bets on defense that probably won't help.
0: Um, yes, and, and goaltender as well, which we'll get into. Yeah,
1: that's next up. So they re-signed Mike Smith for two years at $2.2 2 Mike Smith is, is uh, 39 years old. Like, he had a really late career resurgence, and he was good last year. I didn't see that coming. I will fully own that. I laughed mm-hmm. at that deal, yep, and I was made to look silly. And if he does it again, they'll get great value. But at his age... They
0: better hope he does. They don't have a backup plan.
1: It, yeah, like... They are in trouble if they have to rely extensively on Miko Koskinen at this point, I guess, or Alex Stalock. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that it's maybe been underplayed in the, in the context of Edmonton improving, which I think they have done. But so much of this is dependent on ancient Mike Smith, and you'd really better hope that he can deliver. Um, they signed Cody Ceci for four years at $3.25 million. I actually have a soft spot for CC at this point, but, like, why are you paying him that? Yeah. Like, you know, maybe he's a decent defensive third-pair guy. You don't have to give him that kind of money.
0: Again, kids. Right, right-handed defenseman. Yeah. That, that's what you gotta be.
1: <laughs> and to my great sorrow, they signed Zach Hyman seven years at
0: 5.5. Great. And all of the same things that could be said about the RNH mm-hmm. deal.
1: I, I do want to emphasize just because it's a trend and this is a good example of it, this deal is meant to end on LTIR. I think that that is directly in contemplation when you sign this deal. And like that whole discussion about Edmonton maybe paying a pick to get an eighth year out of Toronto, you know, they're not doing that because they really wanted Zach Hyman's age 37 season. They're Mm -hmm. doing that because they want to lower the AAV and he's not expected to play this out. So the question is, how many of these years have to be good Before the decline year, and then the LTIR probably for this contract to pay out. If they get four good years out of him, and I'm not saying they will, I'm not saying they won't, but if they get four good years out of this contract, I think
0: they're pretty happy with it. Yeah. Um. And and for a team that's been starved as as much playoff success as Edmonton has, mm. you know, if if Hyman scores one series winning goal, like that, that goes a long way. Mm. That stuff matters, right? Like we, one thing that annoys me a lot about a lot of NBA talk. Is like this idea that like okay if 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 a move doesn't make you a contender it's a bad move Mm -hmm. like you need either either need to be a contender or suck, right? And I I think it's fine to make moves to just get a better team because watching your team win games is fun.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Like I I don't mind this move. This doesn't make Edmonton a contender. It makes them a better team right now though, Mm -hmm. and that's useful because you have Connor McDavid and you know you wanna you wanna start actually winning some games and some series even if you are not necessarily a contender for the title, right? And this is the same thing that we talked about with Chicago. Like, it's weird. We don't know what really the long-term vision is, but if it's just them trying to win a few more games now to get in the playoffs for Tane and Caves, okay, sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know what? Hyman adds elements so the higher end version of that that, that um, Edmonton will appreciate. He's played exceptionally well with very good players. I think a lot <laughs> of players can do that. But still, there's, like, it's very easy to see a good fit there, and I think next year they'll be happy they have him. And it's, it's beyond that that I don't know. Um, and then they got Derek Ryan, two years at 1.25. That's a fine upgrade. And they got the man whose name we are in a dispute over the pronunciation of, Warren Fibola, who they signed for three years at 2.75, uh, which I think is fine. Their forwards are better, I think, this year. You know, Zach Hyman's an upgrade, and then Ryan adds a little bit of depth. And, you know, you start to look at them, and they're no longer quite the the pure top-heavy punchline that they used to be. I'm not saying it's a murderer's row after the big two guys. They're still top-heavy, but there's more going on there to get excited about, I think, at Forward. Um, and then they gave an enormous extension to Darnell Nurse. It starts in yes. 2022. Uh, it's eight years at $9.25 million. He looked like it last year, but he played a ton of time with Connor McDavid. And this keeps happening. And it's like, either you believe that it really is largely him, or you're paying a lot of money for a guy to be a guy on the ice with McDavid. And as we've said before, part of the use of McDavid is he makes the players around him a lot better. And so you can get them cheaper and replace them more easily. Um, Right.
0: And to give a bit of credit to Edmonton yeah. here, you know, it, it's like, what's the alternative, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, we, we've seen the market for defensemen go nuts. Maybe someone isn't giving giving um, Nurse 8.9, 8 by 9.25. Well, actually, no one can give him 8. But no, maybe no one's getting into the nines for him. Mm-hmm. But um, you don't want to risk losing him because if you lose him, well, suddenly your top defender is gone and you have... These years of McDavid and Drysaddle's contracts, and now with Hyman's contract, which is you know a year like years where you need to be good now because mm-hmm. you know the back end isn't great. Um, you know suddenly you're you're left out in the cold, so you you pay a premium for the certainty of okay we have a guy we know Nurse fits in well with this team yada yada yada. Doesn't make it a great contract.
1: No, uh, and you know
0: I'm just saying I, I I see the thought process and I see the fear that led them to to make that decision.
1: Yeah, there is a logic to what holland has done this year mostly and i do i get it um they extended tyson berry by the way three years at 4.5 million i will confess that's not as funny as i hoped um i wouldn't want to pay berry that because i don't think that he's a good even strength player
0: yeah but you know it's not an albatross but it's it's fine but again it's it's sort of like i don't really see what berry provides so much on this team um you have a great power play with or without him.
1: Yeah, they were first in the league before he got there, which is worth emphasizing. And so I don't know that that's a, a big contribution from him, but he can be on a pairing that will, I guess, not get totally embarrassed. Is is a way to put it? And so yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he's he's not a very good five on five player, yeah. right? But he, he he leans into that Edmonton thing where. He's a good shooter, especially for a defenseman, mm-hmm. and he can set up, he can, he can dovetail well with, play, uh, with high-end players, um, cause he will be kind of quite, uh, aggressive mm-hmm. and he'll take advantage of the fact that they process and see the ice very well.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so whatever it is, what it is. Uh, and then they signed Slater Kukuk for two years at 9.2, sorry, 925k. That would be a huge raise for him. Uh, and they signed Brendan Perlini for one year at 900 K. It just struck me because that's the kind of deal the Leafs make all the time. You know, a guy who scored a bit once and maybe can do so again for cheap. Um, their departures. Do you want to do those? I let on the transactions.
0: Yeah, sure. So the, de- oh, by the way, I actually just watched a video of Warren Fogel Fogley's goals and they said Fogelly and then Fogel in the same <laughs> clip. So I think they're, they're unsure as well. So I'm just, I'm just going to go with, uh, Fogle. Um, so notable departures, Ethan Barrick and Caleb Jones. We talked about in trades, uh, Adam Larson was claimed by Seattle four by four million there. Um, yeah, legit loss there continues the trend of kind of the back end being a bit problematic. Whereas the forwards for Edmonton actually look really, really good now. Probably maybe the best set of forwards in the league at them. It's Lemmer Colorado off the top of my head. Mm. Um, Dmitry Kulikov went to Minnesota, whatever. Uh, Jujar Kara went to Chicago. Um, yeah, I mean, he he's, he's a fourth-liner guy. Nothing major there. So, yeah, I mean, Edmonton, it's... Again, I understand the logic behind what they did. Doesn't mean they haven't made really crazy long-term bets in order to facilitate this. And they are probably going to be better. They're in the weakest division. I think, you know, maybe off the top of my head, they might be the second-best team in the Pacific.
1: I think that they are at least reasonably aiming for that. Like, that should be the objective. Yeah. You can say, we're probably not as good as Vegas... But none of these other teams are that good. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if they get the goaltending, I expect them to be in that 2-3 bracket. Um, Mm -hmm. The biggest issues are what is going to happen longer term. If the Nurse contract doesn't age well, if the Hymen contract doesn't age well, if you're coming up towards the, you know, the decline phases starting for Dressaitl and eventually McDavid, you know you may not be happy with how far you've come in that time span because this team still doesn't look like a great contender, but they're in a position where it makes some sense to be aggressive.
0: And well, and I think Ken Holland's in a position where it makes sense for him to be. Aggressive.
1: Yeah. That's a good distinction to make. Yeah. Like he's got to start making, hay, but also with the Pacific division, you should be thinking we should at least be favored in our round one matchup. That's a good start. And so, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. And, I think the only really, really laughable thing is the Duncan Keith deal. Mm. Um, and then the rest of the Merbit fraud, but we'll see.
0: But even that, it's more just the opportunity cost of a cap space yeah. than anything long term. Yeah. Um, um, okay, last four. Let's try and get through these in uh, five minutes each. <laughs> so then we have a, a very, you know, a breezy two and a half Oh, yeah, block.
1: just like it's nothing. So the Florida Panthers are once again sort of relevant. They traded prospect Devin Levi in a conditional 2022 first for Sam Reinhardt. The condition is that it's top 10 protected, as we mentioned. They signed Reinhardt at three years at 6.5 million. I think that Florida can now put together a really good top six. Um, yep. You know, Verhegi and Barkov well, and, and Huberto and Reinhardt in
0: some combination. Yeah, Reinhardt gives them all possibilities. He can be their second line center. He can also play on the top line.
1: Yeah, and, and so either way, that's good. Uh, they extended Anthony DeClaire, three years at 3 million. Um, I think that that's fine he's all offense but offense is nice and he had a productive year for them uh they extended sam bennett four years at 4.25 he had been underwhelming his last four and a half years in calgary and then he exploded as soon as he got into florida but you know if he delivers on that sort of potential then i guess that they're fine with it this is like a a gamble that who he was in calgary is not who he's going to be right um you know, he had good underlings. He also had a huge PDO based mostly on save percentage, so who knows. Um, they extended Brandon Montour, who's a defender, three years at 3.5. I don't know why he's worth that, but I guess they think he could be a 2nd tier guy. Whatever. Um, mm-hmm. They extended Carter Verhage, three years at 4.167. He blew the doors off this year.
0: If he plays like he did last year the next three years, it's, this is like uh, the best contract in the league. Yeah, he, right, he was worth way more than this last year, but it just it came sort of out of nowhere. Yeah, and he was playing with um, Barkov,
1: who is you know a, a terrific player.
0: Yeah, but he also continue to play with Barkov, yeah.
1: so you know what? Maybe
0: that'll be fine. If if and if he like if he regresses into being only a first line winger, because he was he was like one of the best players in the league last year. That's how it looked. Yeah, it was insane. Um,
1: and you know what? I totally did not foresee this.
0: No, no, I mean he was we we traded him in the in the five for one. Uh, trade to New York to the New York Islanders for for Grabner, mm-hmm. and before you get like mad at Lou for doing that, the Islanders gave up on him. Tampa had him on their fourth line, yeah. and gave up on him. Like this is kind of one of those freaks of player development things.
1: Yeah, like he always had talent, and he was clearly the best of the five guys we gave up. But like, mm-hmm. not too many people saw this coming, or he wouldn't be on a contract worth one million AAV for next year too. Um, yeah, they signed Gustav Forsling three years at two point six seven. They unloaded Anton Strahlman for a prospect and a second. They got a seventh back, and they signed yep. Joe Thornton. Year at seven hundred and fifty, it's fine as long as they have the confidence not to
0: play him too high based on his reputation. Cough, cough. Right, and well, this is something you mentioned, I think, in our Slack afterward, yeah. or after this deal was signed. You know, Joel Quenville probably has the cachet to to be like, "Hey, I have I have three time three or three more cups than you do. Yeah, so you know, I can I can bench you. Yeah."
1: And so, Um, you know, that's fine. I do think, like, you have to play Thornton with someone who can score to get some use out of him, and he's not necessarily worth it anymore, but whatever.
0: It's an option. it's an option. Um, So, Strawman left. Chris Drieger Drieger left uh, to Seattle. Uh, Keith Yandel was bought out, went to Philadelphia. Alex Wenberg also went to Seattle. Uh, No major losses. Wenberg and uh, Drieger were... Drieger, sorry, I keep messing that up, are... The biggest ones, both of them going to Seattle. The goaltending is the big question mark here with the, with the loss of, of him.
1: Yeah, Dridger kind of surged and became their best starter. But the truth is they were going to lose him. But Borowski is totally immovable because that contract is huge. And then Spencer Knight is a very touted goalie prospect. And so he's going to be their backup this year. And so yep. probably they were going to lose Dridger anyway. Um, Wenberg, uh, and Arvin special. The guy he you you wanted to sign last year and he turned in a great yeah year.
0: and he had a nice resurgent year to prove to make me look smart. Yeah. Um, he also had a huge I mean, shooting percentage. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he he's he's had these hugely variable years yeah. in shooting percentage, right? Yeah, um, he, he, I mean, he had year a year where he literally I think scored zero or one goals, yeah. um, over like a full season, which is just disastrous. Uh, I don't know if I love him at four and a half million. Yeah. That's like getting into... He has to be a very good... He has to be the best third-line center in the league or an okay Mm second-line center for that to be worth it. I'm not sure he's that. Um, But it's Seattle. They have space. Yeah,
1: what else are they going to do? So I think it's a little painful to lose those guys, but with Reinhardt coming in and the anticipated development from Spencer Knight, I think they can reasonably believe they got better. Uh, Yandel... Would be a loss. Depends
0: myself. on goalies, as always, yeah. but and, and even more so for them because they have this, as you, you termed it in our notes, as like this huge shroud hanging mm-hmm. over them in Bobrovsky, and yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I think they're one of the four best teams in the Atlantic, in my opinion. They can, mm-hmm. they should be expecting to make the playoffs. They may be a little short of the top table. But they'll they'll have a good top six and a good top four and that's a good start and if they can at least hope for good goaltending,
0: I think of the teams in the top four in the Atlantic, uh, which I think is uh, Bo- Tampa, Boston, Florida, Toronto, mm-hmm. in, in Florida and Toronto in some order. Uh, I think Florida is the most likely to have disaster potential.
1: Yeah, like because you can see how it could go wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they're in there. Uh, lots of variability, but I, I like the off season for them. I think they had a good one. Yeah. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings. I think the Kings are tired of being awful. They traded a 2021 second rounder and a 2022 third to Nashville for Victor Arvidsson. Uh, and then they signed him three years. Sorry. He had three years at 4.25 million left. He used to be an elite scoring winner. He's a real asshole on the ice, which, you know, teams sometimes appreciate, but it's not too hard to see him resurging because... L.A. can play him very high in the lineup and give him all the opportunities he can possibly get. They signed uh, Philip Deneau, fresh off his legendary playoff run as the defensive center, to six years at $5.5 million. Feels like a good deal at the wrong time sort of thing. Like, it, it may not be a bad contract, even if it ages badly, but this is the kind of thing for a team that's trying to put itself over the top. I don't know if I get it for a team that sucks.
0: Yeah, well, it, it's interesting. Like, he can... I think maybe the idea here is we play Philip Deneau. So we have Anza Kopitar, He takes Tufts. Yeah. We we take Philip Deneau. We put him against Tufts too. And now Quinton Byfield mm. is insulated at center and can play against lower end players.
1: Yeah. And they've brought him along patiently. Like they didn't rush into the NHL last year, which is, I think, a reasonable thing to do. They mm-hmm. signed Alex Adler one year at 3.5. He's still decent defensively, even though he's old. Uh, extended Andreas Athanasiu, and extended former Leaf Trevor Moore. Didn't really lose anybody of, of any great importance. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, they've improved a lot. It's just they were really, really bad. So who knows how much that means. Yeah,
1: and, you know, this is another round of, hey, they play in the Pacific, so who knows. But I still think this team is a ways off. And that Drew Doughty deal, like... And everyone was like, oh, Doughty has resurged and regained his form last year. I'm like, he got back to being fine. He makes $11 million against the cap every year. Like, it's not enough for him just to get back to being decent. And he's 31. Even if he did it, the term on this deal is insane. So, yeah, stay tuned for that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, like the other deals we've mentioned, where... Again, this is this is the Mitch Marner problem. Mm. He can be very, very good and still not worth his contract. And again, Marner is a, a lot, lot better now at this point than Drew Doughty yeah. is.
1: Yeah, uh, just, you know, based on age. Like, Doughty should be anticipated to get worse every single year. If he's not worth $11 million now, and the deal runs for five seasons after this next one, there are probably several seasons where he's playing and it's very bad. So, yeah. anyway, the Kings want to be good again. I don't think they will be yet. Maybe this is their, the time that they move up to being like an eighty-point team, and then the following year they contend.
0: Yeah, I think I think the goal is like play meaningful games into into March.
1: Yeah, and then you know it, they're really hoping for big years out of you know Byfield and and like prospects like that. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Minnesota Wilds—they broke form and were kind of interesting this off season, for better or for worse. Uh, they ex- well the the way train crashes are interesting. Yeah. <laughs> So they. we'll start with a nice thing. They extended mm. Joel Erickson-Eck, eight years at
0: 5.25. Love this deal. Love, love JEE. Wanted him in the draft. I'm very rarely right about these <laughs> things, so I'm going to brag when I am.
1: You got to enjoy it. It's, you know, he's 24. He was a Selkie contender this off offseason. Uh, sorry, this season. Um, it takes him, you know, mostly, it takes him through his prime, but doesn't buy too much decline. And I think he has a very good chance of being worth that for that whole deal. Um, signed Freddie Gaudreau, Dmitry Kulikov, decent defenseman. They signed Alex Golikovsky, who was 36 and who I did not know was still alive. But he had one more, he gets one more year at $5 million out of Minnesota. Which is like, I don't think he's worth that,
0: but... in points, baby. Yeah,
1: that's what gets you paid. And they signed John Merrill. So they lost... Um, well, you can live, live with this one if you want, but
0: sure, whatever. yeah. Uh, the The big one, Carson Sousi.
1: <laughs> Everyone's talking <laughs> no, about the Carson Susi claim from the Seattle cracker. Yeah,
0: they they bought out Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. Um, this this seemed acrimonious. Uh, it was it, personal. They, it was, yeah, like the 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 reports that came out was that like Bill Guerin was just tired of seeing these guys fucking faces. Yeah,
1: because. In Parise's case, you can sort of see it where it's like, well, he was pretty bad this this last year. Like, he's, he's in decline. They wanted rid of him. Okay. Um, Suter was still playing well. And they're going to have a massive dead cap hit in the year that's going to go for a while. And so this makes a lot more sense if you believe what seemed to be leaking from the organization afterwards, which is that he just did not want to deal with these dudes anymore. Ryan Suter apparently buddied up to ownership. And so I don't know if he was trying to protect his position in the org or whatever it was, but I don't think you appreciated that very much. Um, what are they doing with all this cap space is the question. You know, Eichel was sort of someone they were rumored to be interested in, but I don't know where that's at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov Wants to be paid like God, um, which is fine. And, you know, he's starting to go back to the KHL, but it sounds like it's a bit of a a fraught negotiation at this point. Right. And so I I don't know, honestly, if they did themselves huge favors by opening a ton of space right before they did this negotiation. Like they can say we're not
0: changing our stance. Right, but it's a ton of space for this year only, right? So it just it makes it feels like the bios make it so hard for them to navigate the future.
1: Yeah, because this year the dead cap for the Parisian suitor is four point seven million. So they save money this year. Next year it's twelve point seven combined. The year after that it's fourteen point seven, for a couple of years for money for guys not to play for you.
0: Yeah, And, and the thing is, like the rest of their roster is generally pretty efficient cap wise, but like that's a huge. You know, that's a huge negative. Yeah, and so the question is, if you did this, and again,
1: you you know, I think if we gave Bill Guerin truth serum, he might say, okay, well, Zach Parise, I was already paying him to be not very good, whatever. But Suter still was. And so I don't know if it's worth the the degree to which they've hamstrung themselves for whatever they're going to do this offseason because they freed this cap space. And I look at this team and I see a mediocrity. Like, I'm not that impressed with
0: And, I mean, even last year, they looked like a paper tiger in some respects because their shot numbers weren't great, but they had really, really good shooting and, I think, good goaltending. They they, they outperformed their shot numbers. Yeah. The core of it. Um, And, you know, Kaprizov, in particular, was kind of the personification of that in a lot of ways. Um, Kaprizov has immense high-end skill, Mm -hmm. and it's possible he is just that guy going forward, but if they're going to make a huge, huge commitment to him, well, uh you know, that's that's a little scary because you want to have more than a year of him doing that because if he reverts to a goals equals x goals guy, he's suddenly a lot worse. Yeah. I should clarify myself. They had really really good shooting, they didn't really have great saving, great goaltending at all. It was it was really just shooting. Right. Um so yeah, like it's I I think they got worse and they also weren't as good as they showed last year.
1: Yeah, that's a worrying situation. Like it would not be that stunning for them to miss the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and that's not, it's not to say they were bad last year. I just think they were like a slightly above average team that played like a very well above average team.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. I I get that they were in a existing difficult situation with the Parisian Cedar contracts. (laughs) Like it's easy to lose track of that and forget that they were still paying these guys. But the amount of dead cap that they've embraced is crazy to me. I really am surprised by it. So, yeah, anyway, uh, I guess we'll see how this works out for them, but I... Either he's got a big truck up his sleeve and it's a trade for Eichel or something else, or I think that they will live to regret these decisions.
0: Yep, I I pretty much agree. And with that, we can probably uh, end on Montreal. Yes, so all
1: hail the finalists. In notable transactions, I do feel like we have to just address that they drafted Logan Mayo 31st overall.
0: Yeah, um, not again, not a lot of good things to say about this. Yeah. Um it's I don't know, it just seems incredibly incredibly cynical. Uh it's it very much It's is. hard not Yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to view this as part of a pattern with the Habs of viewing guys with "quote unquote" character concerns and I say quote unquote there because what we really mean is you know demonstrated behavior that is like unacceptable and mm-hmm. uh, in this case uh, literally illegal yeah um you know because they were reportedly after shava Voinov, they reportedly had interest in, in d'angelo mm-hmm. they, they seem to view the fact that like being a shitty person as a market inefficiency i actually i shouldn't say being a shitty person doing a shitty thing yeah as a market inefficiency
1: it, so it's worth clarifying logan mayu he was 17 uh he took a picture of uh of a young woman you know in the course of a sex act and then sent the, the picture around to his snapchat group and you know that's a crime this is yes. you know, non-consensual distribution of intimate photographs and so he was fined for it and so there was much discussion in the lead up to the draft about what he was doing um to work at you know rehabilitating himself making amends um, there was an interview with the young woman in question and, you know, his apology, which she didn't feel was very sincere. And Mayu said, I don't think that I'm ready to be drafted. Like he made a statement. He might have been, you know, my suspicion is someone told him to say that because they figured it would play better. But, you know, take him at his word uh, to say, like, OK, I know that I fucked up. I've got to make changes in my life and show that I'm going to be a better person going forward than I've been here to And he said, you know, like, don't take me this year. It would have made a lot of sense for him to put in a year of being better and, you know, working at, you know, figuring out why you did this and what you're going to do differently to be a better person, to not behave in this way. And then the Habs took him anyway. And they've conflated it with this discussion about, like, forgiveness and rehabilitation and any of that. And I'm sorry, I don't believe any of that shit. They saw an no, opportunity I, I, to draft a guy. They could have waited a year.
0: You yeah, like, and it was right there. I, I, th- I think there's, there's been discussion of what, how sincere Mayu's claim was, whether he was just trying to get ahead of the interview mm-hmm. um, by, from the victim of, of the crime yeah. uh, and, and paint himself in a more positive light. And that could very well be the case, right? Yeah. Uh, but if he was sincere, then what the Habs have done is unfair to him. And then, of course, what it should be most central here is what the Habs have done is particularly galling to, to, to the victim, mm-hmm. right, in, in the sense of kind of being forced f- it, to relive that, that trauma mm. and see, you know, the person not just accused, but, you know, essentially like charged and, and is convicted, the right word here? Yeah, uh, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah of, con- convicted of, of this crime, essentially get off, you know, got free in a sense, uh, in, in all monetary sense, his career is, is unharmed. Um, not that punishment should be, you know, kind of uh, uh, punitive uh, or like uh, to, to make someone's life miserable or anything like that. But it, it, it must not be incredibly fun from her perspective to see this, to see that her words and what happened to her really made no impact as to how... Um, Mayu is viewed by the NHL at large and by, by this team at large. They, they view him as, you know, someone who is, can help them win hockey games. And that's what matters. And not the fact that he did something really, really awful. And you know, that something that shouldn't be tolerated in in any industry. Yeah.
1: And so that's where we are like that. The Habs were more or less overt in it, saying, you know, Hey, he's a big talented defenseman. We think he's going to be good for us. And that was it. And, they issued a, a, frankly, chicken shit statement, subsequently saying, you know, like, we know we've screwed up, but they don't renounce the pick. we are keeping the no. rights to them. And so, uh, with these things, especially, you know, it's the Habs, look, we're Leaf fans. We have a certain well-bred animosity to the Habs. But I think that this should be really separate from ordinary inter-team trash talk to just say, like, look, this was just a brutally cynical decision on their part. And I think it's yeah, genuinely it shameful. was. So...
0: Yeah. And I guess the one thing I want to talk about, briefly mention is none of this is incompatible with the idea of someone being able to, um, I guess, rehabilitate their life and to join society and to continue in their mm-hmm. established profession uh, to, to, you know, after having committed a crime. Like it, it, there's been a lot of talk in, in recent years about the immense harm that in particular incarceration does, but even just convictions in general. Um, are a necessary part of life, but they can really ruin someone's life. And uh, the idea of rehabilitation is very important. That does not mean that someone is necessarily entitled to everything that they were going to get before without consequences.
1: Yeah, like you, you don't have any entitlement to get picked in the first round in your draft year.
0: Um, yeah, so it, it is not yeah. saying like, oh, we want to, we want Mayu's life to be ruined. No, we, I, I, like I, I hope he works on himself. I hope he is sincere in what he has said publicly, even though the victim has cast some. Uh, Doubt onto that and she should be believed more than anyone else in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I hope everything for him in the future goes you know better and he doesn't you know treat people the way that he had treated this, this victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean you know it, it, everything should there should be no consequences at all personally or professionally.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And th- those statements are not incompatible. We can believe in rehabilitation but also believe you know what in order to you know, have rehabilitation and, and achieve forgiveness. There has to be concerted efforts over long periods of time and demonstrated improved behavior, mm. right? That, that goes beyond. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. Yeah. Right. And that that takes time. That's the reality. That takes time. And what the haves have done here is robbed both Mayu of the opportunity to demonstrate that in a in a more in a less pressured way, and have robbed the victim of. Uh, you know kind of or not rob the victim but have like imposed kind of a secondary sort of trauma on the victim on top of that so yeah, yeah uh, these aren't necessarily very well-formed thoughts but that's that's where we yeah. stand on it primarily
1: yeah it's a just just a frustrating thing and it would frustrate me as a Habs fan it frustrates me as a hockey fan um, it does they signed Mike Hoffman three years at 4.5 million um, he's a very good shooter who's going to help their power play he doesn't do anything else um, besides shoot, Meet the new Thomas Tatar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can see why.
0: Tatar's it... better, but
1: yeah. yeah but... but like, yeah, it's, it's all shooting and he's a genuinely great shooter and that's it. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: for a team that has dominated shot totals since the dawn of time, seemingly, but has not shot very well, you can sort of see him as maybe fixing a weakness. You can also see him as not fitting. Who knows how that'll work mm-hmm. out. They signed David Savard, four years at 3.5. Could bounce back to be a competent second pair guy and make this look pretty good. Maybe he won't, but it's a mid-level bet. Matthew Perrault, one year at 950. He used to be an analytics hero, but he's 33 now and in decline. Yul Armiyev. Yeah, still, still decent, yeah. I think, but... Yeah, so, you know, and it's 950. Uh, Yul Armia four years at 3.4. That's a bit rich to me for what he brings, but okay. And Arturi Lekanen, one year at 2.7 is fine. Um, yeah. They're defined by who they lost. I think.
0: Yes, Phil Deneau is the big one who we, who we mentioned. Uh, Corey Perry, who was really useful and now is going to win another, win a cup in, in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, Shea Weber, the other ones are, are kind of yeah. meh. Shea Weber is still there, but he's not going to play next season according to Mark Bergevin.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, okay, again, this will sound like I'm just slagging the Habs and being cynical. Mark Bergevin is willing to lie in public to a perhaps greater extent than a lot of GMs. Like, that's that's my opinion of it. They all do it. You know, Like they all say things that are disingenuous at times. But when Bershevin says something, I'm like, we'll see. Still, though, the fact that they're saying Shea Weber might miss the entire season or will miss the entire season, that's bad. They relied on him a lot.
0: Right. So some people take this to be like, oh, they're going to try and Kucherov it, and He'll be on LTIR for the whole year and uh, try and play in the playoffs. And they're going to have a stack team in the playoffs. They might not make it to the playoffs without Shea Weber.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's a genuine question and people, you know, might think, Hey, they were a finalist last year, but let's remember how close they were to missing in the North division, which is a lot easier than the Atlantic is going to be. And you can immediately count out four teams who I think are probably better than Montreal, at least on paper, but who could easily block them from a playoff spot if they're not a hundred percent, you know, behind Tampa, Boston, Toronto, and Florida. And then suddenly you're hoping for that crossover wildcard spot just to make it. Um, not too much has to go wrong for this to get ugly, even though I think, you know, they're still a good shots team, although they'll miss to and and no Weber for that a lot, but I think it has to be said, they got really lucky in making this finals run. And that may sound like sour grapes, but I don't care. You know, John Tavares taking a knee in the head, 10 minutes into the first round series probably is a defining moment in their season. They probably would have mm-hmm. lost in the first round, and if it had been ugly, I think Mark Bergevin would have gotten fired. So none of the you know, none of this means they didn't make the finals. Like that happened, we have to acknowledge it. Good for them. They upset Vegas, that was genuinely impressive. But if you're looking at this team objectively, I still think you have to say they're probably not that great. They're like a decent team in, I think, the hardest division in hockey, and that might not be enough.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, we'll see. All right. Um, I think that covers it. Two and a this might be a new record for us. Two and a half hours. Uh, I think
1: this is it. This is the longest
0: one ever. So. Okay. So we'll try and make it shorter <laughs> for next week. L- listen to this over the course of multiple days. Yeah. You know. Oh. Um. But yeah, so thank you to everyone for listening. If you've made it this far, we really appreciate you. You are in like the 1% of uh, Back to Excited fans and a su- a probably hockey fans generally. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for listening. You can find all of my work at Uh We're starting the top 25 under 25, which is featuring a lot of people who are not us, mm-hmm. uh, who know a lot more about the stuff because <laughs> honestly, we were so busy doing research for this pod. Yeah. <laughs> um, that we couldn't do research for the top 25. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot of great stuff there. Uh, you can, you can see, uh, how we're ranking the Leafs, uh, young players and there'll be a lot of more off-season content there as well. You can also catch Fulham and I on Twitter at RVNATFulhaman. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon in part two.